0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Uh, We're glad you're here. This is Jim Towns, your host, and with me is my co-host, Livio Marino. Livio, say say something so that everyone knows you're not just a figment of my imagination. I live exclusively in your mind, Jim. That did not help me convince anybody (laughs) of that. All right, we'll just proceed, I guess. Okay. Um, we're excited today. We're doing The the Invisible Man Returns from 1940, the sequel to the original Invisible Man with Claude Rains, the, the James Whale film. Uh, this film uh, follows a character named Jeffrey Radcliffe, uh, accused of murdering his own brother. Uh, he's rescued from the gallows by his friend, Dr. Frank Griffin, who's brother to the late Jack Griffin, who turns him invisible, allows him to escape. And he goes on a quest to try to find the true murderer of his brother, clear his own name. In the meantime, try not to go crazy from the, the chemical that's in his body that's making him uh, invisible. So, first off, Livio, I, I feel like a more accurate title of this film would be The Invisible Man's Brother and This Other Guy, right? Yes. Because the Invisible Man himself is not actually returning in this film. The Invisible Man, the original Invisible Man, is dead. Uh, you know, Correct. Uh, shot by police or killed in the barn. Um and this story picks up on some other things, but it's an ingenious way that it it ties itself to the original story and then
1: creates its its own original story. It does. It's it's almost like a, a spaceballs moment. You know, the Invisible Man's brother's friend, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> former roommate. Yeah. Um, right, exactly. A guy who owed him money back in college. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, um, gonna, I'm gonna, see. This is the second one. I see how many consecutive episodes we can reference a Mel Brooks movie in, in our time. right.
0: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Is there, any, is there any episode we could get through clean and not refer yeah. back to Brooks? Film? Exactly. We'll see. We'll see if that happens or not. I think we've we've quoted Blazing Saddles a few times too. But, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, this film is the. It's not the Universal horror pre- uh, uh, premiere of the lauded and well respected and beloved actor Vincent price um because he was in a year before this he was in the tower or the uh, tower of london correct yes he was so he plays, he plays duke of Clarence yeah with the yeah. the wine yeah,
1: yeah, so this is um you know we are it, it's fitting we're doing this this movie now, so we we just talked about son of Frankenstein and so we are right in the universal horror timeline we are we are right on the heels of the The big success that was Son of Frankenstein. So Universal went from Son of Frankenstein to Tower of London. And here they're trying hard to recreate the James Will magic of the invisible man. I always thought it was interesting that, um, you know, with the horror revival, so to speak, in 1939 with Son of Frankenstein, you know, they, they went to a kind of a cornerstone, you know, Frankenstein's Mm -hmm. monster and the next character next you know monster so to speak they choose is the invisible man um before you see the mummy again and then we're introduced to the wolf man but it's always interesting that dracula is is absent all the way until you know end of 1943 so that's i always thought that was just just interesting the way that went from frankenstein and then the next one up is is the invisible man Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, Dracula is kind of the last batter up in the, in the,
0: in the, in the trail, isn't he? Um, I mean, I, I think this is an obvious next step for Universal simply because the the face of the, the actor playing the Invisible Man in this film is, is probably the least important of any other, uh, you know, of the, of of, of Universal's prime characters, possible exception of the mummy, but, you know, we'll, we'll get into that whole thing. Um, yeah, it, it kind of makes sense. Um, and I do think they there was someone had noticed Vincent Price, and I, and he was you know he was a he was a very well respected stage actor at this time. He was a very new to the to the uh, to the silver screen, um, and I think and we'll get obviously into more about Vincent uh, into the film. Uh, but I do think you know it's just a, if if there's an unfortunate part of this movie, and I really like this movie, and I'm really excited to talk about it. It's it's that um, while we do get Vincent Price's wonderful voice in the film. And we do his, his physical being is in the film. We don't get the recognizable face as much. Uh, and that must have been it must always be kind of a, a, a question in an actor's mind when they're when they're pitched a film kind of like this, like you're, you're just going to, you know, you're the title character. It's a, It could be a big break for you we're only going to see
1: your face for about 10 seconds at the end,
0: right? And yeah. it was the same with Claude Rains in the original.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, at least Vincent Price had, had that uh, as a benchmark, because obviously by 1940, Rains, Claude Rains is a very well-respected um, yes. and and heavily in-demand character actor. And you talk about um, a voice that is just instantly recognizable and, and so unique. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, I can't think of a better follow-up to someone like Claude Rains than Vincent Price. And right. like you said, he, he's uh, someone who was very successful on stage, and he he carries that with him in this role. And you can tell in, in his body language and the way he kind of throws his voice and the way he emotes everything from, you know, just just sadness, happiness, anger, madness. Um, he kind of He kind of covers mm-hmm. it all in this film and he does it very very well he does uh you know the invisible
0: man isn't it's not a role that requires a lot of underplaying it really you do have to be big because your voice is the thing carrying the whole thing um i find it interesting uh and we will get into the story of the film in just a moment everybody but uh i think at the top of this i do want to discuss i it doesn't seem it doesn't sound to my ears like vincent price had quite developed his very notable accent like that kind of mid-atlantic thing that he did yeah. um because he, he was an american born actor uh he spent time in europe and he would, and he went to a part of his college in europe as well i believe so he did bounce back and forth across the pond so it, it's it's understandable that he his voice had that 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 tinge of an accent in it that gave him this formal thing and allowed him to play everything from you know the and you know, usher and House of Usher to, to the White House of Wax to everything. Um, is it is it me, Libby, or He he sounds a little
1: American in this. He, he does. It's not and quite there yet. Yeah, I was I was gonna say that he was born in the state that I live in. He was born in Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri. And That's out of all the years I've lived here, I've yet to encounter anyone that sounds quite like him.
0: <laughs> yes. He's 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 kinda like Bela Lugosi, right? If you yeah. go to, if you go to Hungary, you don't mean someone who sounds like it, it was a one off, right? I, I think I think his voice was a creation kind of to it, some degree.
1: It, yeah, probably influenced just by you know everything around it, and just yeah. naturally, you know, a, a very naturally unique unique voice. Yes. But it is definitely you, you could tell how how youthful it is, because he was born in nineteen eleven so he's he's what 30 31 30 almost um, yeah. yeah and very young wow Yeah he's 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 young coming into this I th- I think most of us w- when we hear his voice or recognize it we're we're thinking of films from the Kind of house on Hunted Hill and later. So, you know, fifties yeah. into sixties and 70s. Abominable
0: Doctor Fives. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. And all that had, era. Right. Obviously all, all the matured quite a
1: bit since then, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. As a more middle aged guy, you know, it's interesting, you know. More more like Lugosi when we first got to know Lugosi, He was already around that age too. Yeah. So, um Yeah. Vincent Price is also one of those actors that I've never read or heard of a bad story about him. You know, he's just he's just one of those guys that, that no one had a bad that I know of had a bad thing to say about the guy. He just was just a guy who really appreciated what he was got to do for a living and enjoyed the heck out of it. And just, you know, um, you're just an
1: icon. So yeah, it's great was, uh, to be talking about him. Absolutely. Didn't, yeah, didn't exactly. do a whole lot of Universal. Yeah. Yeah. I was just about to say that, you know, for – and it's it's rare when you think of classic horror to to think of someone – there really just kind of only three people, at, at least in my mind anyways, that are outside of Universal – Vincent Price uh, being one of them, and as well as Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, but mm-hmm. kind of when you think of the classic horror stars, we're so ingrained with the Universal stars, you know, yes. Lugosi, Karloff, Chaney, um, but Vincent Price is absolutely included in that group, and it's oh yeah, yeah. I'm because glad that we, we have to we we get a chance to to talk about him. I think he was only in yeah. three. Um, universal quote-unquote horror films i mean I'm trying, you, I'm trying to figure out what you're going to list so go ahead yeah well tower of london um yes visible man returns and the cameo as, as yes.
0: at the end of Abin and frankenstein where he, he returns as the invisible man which is something he i absolutely return, yes. honestly my first pro- that was probably my first experience with vincent price was just hearing his voice in that and thinking who's that guy you know he had that great thing. okay all right we're moving into the story now guys um <laughs> Again, Invisible Man Richards, it, it pick, the story picks up uh, a couple years after the events of uh, Jack Griffin and, and his campaign of terror, uh, the unfortunate end of his life. Um, the stories, uh, uh, Kurt Siodmak is one of the writers on the story. So Siodmak becomes kind of a big guy in Universal around this time between yeah. this, obviously Wolfman, family um, uh, uh, of the Opera, right?
1: Uh, I know he did, well, maybe. I know he did this one. Am, am I mixing
0: um, up the Siodmaks? Because there's
1: the two. I might uh, be I might be mixing them up. But anyway. Yeah, Robert, um he directed Son of Dracula. Um That's right. And then so yeah, I think I think it was the director here, director Joe May, who, despite mm-hmm. the very American sounding name, was was German yeah. and and from what right. I understand really didn't speak any English. Um and he was yeah. the one that brought yeah. in Kurt Schildmach, also from Germany. And right, they kinda sense. worked together and this was I think the the starting point for Kurt's career at universal and, and, um, you know, obviously he had success here. I don't know if he worked. I think he may have revised the, the old man made monster, um, mm-hmm. treatment that had previously existed, but he yeah, did. Do, and I think that was, yeah, he did yeah, do the his, Wolfman, his which was yeah, and then, obviously a huge success and then went on to exactly goes to Frankenstein, Frankenstein meets a Wolfman and, and kind of on from there. So, yeah,
0: yeah. Really shaping this, this, uh, if we want to call it phase two of universal horror. Yes. um, uh, the film starts off with our typical uh, rugged, rocky landscape with bare trees, which is never really, we never see again in the film. And, uh, you know, the, the film takes place in England. Uh, it takes place in kind of a, I think, a kind of a rural area where there's coal mining, obviously, because that plays into the story and, and into some city stuff. Um, and some woods uh, scenes. We never really see this this blasted kind of son of Frankenstein scene kind of setting again. And I wonder if it's just something that was left over uh, that they thought made a cool, spooky thing because it's not really a scary movie i mean it, it if you want to call it a horror movie it it, it is just because the i think the invisible man falls into that genre obviously just by nature of what he is but um yeah it's as opposed to house of horrors or something like that that actually yeah. has some scary moments in it you know dracula frankstein whatever um so uh yeah we kind of start off with at radcliffe manor um um and the uh, Jeffrey Radcliffe's kind of servants, his his butler, I think his chauffeur and the maid are all having a kind of expository conversation about what's what's happening. So we, the nice thing that COMAC Mac does, he throws us right, and the other writers obviously they throw us right into the story. Um, Jeffrey's about to be executed that night or something in like an hour or two, and yeah. you know, they're all fretting and wondering like, oh, what's going to happen? Like their their master's about to be executed, so I have no idea what. How does he pretend to their futures or or what have you? And you know the his his butler obviously is you know very much like I can't believe Jeffrey would never kill his brother, and the the butler or the the stepman or the 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 chauffeur whatever the guy is in the uniform is like oh you know you don't know what rich people could do anything what happens in a man's <laughs> mind right so you know it argues the the they never like we don't have any. Going into the film, we don't have any empirical evidence that Jeffrey didn't kill his brother. We we want
1: to believe that he didn't, obviously, because it's been surprised, and we seem like, you know, yeah, he, the only, seem like something he would do. Yeah. The only, the only notion we have is just the fact that he seems to have a lot of people on his side saying, talking right. about how great a guy he is, you know, and how this, this can never happen, and, and so on which and so is, forth.
0: Which, which is neat. Yeah, exactly. He's He has the right people on his side, and the, 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 the wrong people are not on his side. And that does. Tell us a lot of what we need to know. That's a good good call. Yeah. Um, we go from this scene to up more more upstairs. If you want to do the British upstairs downstairs thing in the parlor, where um, where Jeffrey's fiance Helen and his cousin Richard Cobb are also sort of fretting around and wondering what's going to happen. Um, she's begging him to call like the the Home Secretary, which I guess is, is is that the I guess that's the British version of kind of the Attorney General. I think so, yeah. Or something, so someone so, yeah. with
1: the legal power to to stop an uh, to yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: to yeah, yeah a stay of execution, yeah. Um, so in doing that, I mean the, the writing is so efficient. We we instantly get first of all, you know, this beautiful young woman is 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 you know heartbroken over what's about to happen, and she has every faith that he didn't kill his own brother. Um, uh it doesn't help. I mean, Cedric Hardwick is playing Richard Cobb, and and. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's not, he's not being super subtle about being a really nice, you know, like, like that he's the good guy. He's not really selling good guy. He's, he's, he's indicating quite heavily towards the sinister.
1: (laughs) I I think the, his recent roles up up to, or before this movie, I know he was in the Hunchback of Notre Dame with Charles Lawton. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. As uh, the villain Frollo there. And, and he was in another, another movie, but. I think he traditionally is kind of the bad guy, and and you talk about it, contrast. So I, I kind of have a love hate relationship with Sir Cedric Hardwick. Oh um, yeah, I, I I like him and I like the familiarity of of seeing him in these movies because he pops up in a few other ones, right? And um, but for the most part, I think maybe with the exception of the Invisible Agent, but for the most part, you know it. This movie in particular, you have Vincent Price, whose voice is very, very big and theatrical and, and, you know, his voice inflection is ranges from high to low and everywhere in between. And Sir Cedric Hardwick is just like uh, the <laughs> dullest uh, sounding <laughs> villain ever. He, he kind of has this he's, monotone British, you know, like droll voice. <laughs> he, he is kind of low key. That's interesting. He's not, he's not
0: super theatrical. That's an interesting thing. He, I mean, his main thing is that he's British. Like, that's his, that's what he's yes. leading with. It's like, I'm British. He's got that stuff. Um, it's like, perfect, you're a villain. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. Um, uh, Nan Grey is just, Nan Grey is, as we're doing this podcast and going through these episodes where she keeps popping up in, in films that I kind of forgot she was in, I mean, obviously her famous, maybe her famous, most famous roles is Dracula's Daughter is yeah. the waif that 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 uh, the Countess uh, kind of seduces and draws. Um but the more she pops up in things the more she's really becoming one of my my favorite universal leading women she's just striking and there's a vulnerability to her that's you know i we always say like i always really like the the real stand up uh char- female characters in the universal but there's also there's something about nan gray that just seems like this lost child or something yeah. that really makes me sympathize with her man
1: she's just she's very you know. it's very almost it's like soft you know she's a very she's yeah. a very soft demeanor and you can you can tell she wears and i'd say she meaning the the character here um helen wears her heart on her sleeve and she's mm-hmm. just so much in love with with um jeffrey and and yes. wanting to help you know, clear his name and and things like that. And you can just, you can literally see her heart uh, later on in the movie, her heart break as he starts to slip into madness and he starts becoming someone that's, you know, not himself. And It's
0: really, yeah, the horror of that scene, which obviously we'll get to, the horror of that scene is really the horror of watching her heart break. Yeah. seeing, Seeing the guy she loves, like, going away, right? Like... Disappearing along with his skin and stuff, is his his goodness and stuff. It's really wild. Yeah, yeah. She does that so well. She's begging, obviously, as I said. Um, she's b- b- begging Cobb to call the secretary, and he he makes a, a pretense, at least, to to call. And he says, "Oh, he's in Scotland. He, he it's it's over." So so the legal avenues of of what's you know the, what's available to to save Jeffrey are exhausted. But we see uh, we see. Um, Dr. Frank Griffin shows up at the at the place. And we see that Frank and Helen have their own like a B plan, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, um and interestingly enough they haven't confided in in Richard about it. Um and throughout the film we see that 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 especially Frank like his has, they've intentionally kept Richard who is who is Jeffrey's cousin um, and seems like by all imagination should be on their side. Um, they've really kept him out of their plan to, um, which, which we'll obviously get to in just a second. but their plan is to is to give Jeffrey the serum, turn him invisible and allow him to escape the prison and thereby escape being hanged. And they have clothes waiting for him in the woods and they have a cabin. So they've, they they've gone to these two have gone to quite a bit of planning in secret. For this eventuality, should it come to it, and now it has, and they've gone to a lot of care to not let let Richard Cobb in on it. Lido, do you do you think do you think they're suspicious of him from the beginning, or do you think it's because Richard is some sort of important political person, and they think he needs to be shielded from the thing they're going to do, which is obviously you know illegal?
1: Yeah, it's a that's an interesting point. You know, because I I got the impression that so they. I think they take a lot of a lot of different elements from the original Visible Man here, and Hmm. you can kind of see them wrapped up in the various characters. And in this movie, I always got the impression that Richard Cobb has a thing for Helen. Um, Yes, and I don't. I would imagine that Frank, obviously Frank Griffin and uh, Jeffrey Radcliffe, are extremely close. As is Helen and they, they probably are aware of that because it's, uh, Richard doesn't exactly hide it too well. Um, and then no. to your point, he, he's kind of in charge of this, you know, this big operations, big, big estate. And I, I think that this is such a risky move. And obviously it's, well, illegal. So they yes. want to say, okay, let's, let's not involve anybody. We don't have to. Let's not, you know, get get someone's involvement who may have ulterior motives. Obviously, I don't think they right. suspect Richard of, of murder or anything. It's just more of. What yeah. I don't think they do him. yet
0: either because it's a, quite a surprise when they yeah. realize, you know, yeah. It, when that's kind of revealed in, in the latter part of the film and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess they're definitely just trying to insulate it from him. Um, but it's an interesting idea because, because I, I will, I'd be asking the same question the whole time about Samson, the detective who will meet in a little bit like, like, What's his? Does he really believe that that Jeffrey did this, or is he also suspicious of, of Richard as well? Because there's some lines that indicate that too. So as as a as a mystery, this film doesn't exactly you know like like run on all all fours. Uh, but but that's okay because they, again they are playing with archetypes. Um, Richard is obviously the Kemp of this film. Yes. Uh, uh, the Richard Kemp character from the first film who was uh, totally into. Claude Rains's uh, uh, fiance and and was sort of trying to woo her away, even while Claude was, even while Jack Griffin was kind of thing. So, so this seems to be a, a, a habit in, in these films. Um, this love triangle. Uh, uh I don't know much about. So John, uh, Doctor Frank Griffin's played by John Sutton, and I don't really know much about him and what else. I, I don't know if he was really was he part of Universal or was he like on loan from someplace? Or I
1: think he was in you. I know he was in Tower of London. Um. That's so, right, he's in Tower of London. Yeah, so Vincent Price, John Sutton, and Nan Gray were all in Tower of London and, and carried right. over. I think originally they had um, Universal had wanted to carry over Karloff, Lugosi, and Roland B. Lee as a director from Son of Frankenstein yeah. to Invincible Iron Turns, but that obviously that didn't work out. Um, I think Carlo and Lugosi went to Black Friday, and then they took from um, Tower of London, Price, Gray, and Sutton over to... This movie, and obviously adding in Sir Cedric Hardwick, and um, who got got top billing, even though he's kind of in a, just in a supporting role. <laughs> yes, yeah, exa- exactly. Uh, but I guess the most
0: established name of the of the time and the yeah. most veteran, so I guess that was the to, yeah. In all the the poster and advertising art, his name does appear, uh, top billed over over Vincent over everyone else. Um, and John Sutton, by the way, I mean we're going to have to talk about Tower of London eventually because we keep oblivio because we keep teasing about how great how much we love it um yeah he's uh he's uh he's john wyatt in that he's one of the main characters and he's really he is yes because again because again basil rathbone's the main character but he's also the villain john john is sort of the john wyatt's sort of one of the heroes of the film so um uh son's great he's born he's born in india i know that um but i think to to british parents but he's he's tall and elegant he looks a little bit like a He's kind of a Clark Kent looking guy, isn't he? He's really square and like good in that suit and stuff like that. It's really funny. Like he's not he doesn't really have any physical heroics to do in the film, but man,
1: he looks like he looks like he a leading man himself. He does and and he like exudes uh like ethics <laughs> and yes. and someone who, yeah. who who's good. You you so you know, obviously when we meet Claude Raines, by the time we meet Claude Raines as Jack Griffin, he's already lost his mind and, and he's already yes. uh, up to no good. Here you know, the only connection really is just the name and the fact that Frank Griffin knows the you know, secret of the invisibility potion, but he yes. he's so I guess aware of it and aware of its effects, and he 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 works so hard to try to reverse it and to try to to try to um, you know change it and get him back, get um, Radcliffe back. So he's yeah he's really he's a really good good scientist. There there is no like mad doctoring here, as is the case. No, yeah, yeah. Half the other (laughs) Universal movies.
0: We, well, it's it's funny. It's sort of he's sort of in the minority, isn't he? Being like yeah. just a really like Um, it's like him and Randolph Scott in uh in Murders in, Murders in, the, Zoo, in the Zoo, right? Yeah. Like they're just they're just they're just good. Uh, oddly athletic scientists, which there's no reason why a scientist can't be athletic, but you know it does, it does seem
1: like they, they there were other options available to these guys too. And you know there um, may be something to say about that because you think about it, most of the mad scientists are like Lionel Atwell, you know, who's obviously right. not athletic, and then you have the yeah. <laughs> the Randolph Scotts exactly. of, the, of the world that are, you know, Maybe. so clearly That's what th- sends him over the edge. Exactly. You know, if you want to not delve into mad science, keep your body in shape. <laughs> See, Scott, because I don't think. I don't know why I'm
0: crushing so hard on Dr. Frank Griffin at the moment, but obviously. um, it, It's not like Frank Griffin would have to, like, try to secretly move in on another guy's girl, right? I feel like he could just say, like, hey, and she'd be like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have that. that Lano I was constantly trying to, like, trick women. Into, not to diss Lino. I. Will. we've gotten on a horrible tangent here. Yes. All right. <laughs> uh, um we uh uh so so Frank goes on his mission he goes to visit uh Jeffrey in the prison uh where he's wait, awaiting execution uh he's allowed to go visit him for a few minutes he comes back out by all accounts and then only a few minutes later when the uh the police and the guards and priests and all the other you know the 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 bunch of people go in to escort Jeffrey out they find that the 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 one constable guy comes running out and says he's gone he the the guards were sitting right there jeffrey walked over turned the faucet on walked just off out of sight for just a minute they look over there and they find his clothes and and he's gone so um we all know what's happened we yes. you know we haven't we haven't we haven't dropped the the film itself hasn't dropped the whole bit about duocaine or anything yet but we obviously you know having being familiar with the first one, we we know what what he's done. He Jeffrey, or uh, I, sh- I should say Frank, went in there, gave him gave him the potion. He took it, and then he uh, he disappeared. And probably walked out. It's probably when the guard comes running out and says and says yells, "He's gone." Is probably the moment where Frank, where I'm sorry, where where Jeffrey walks out, like right there past him. It's interesting. in yeah.
1: Laughing the whole yeah, way, it, uh, com- it, it, completely it nude, of course. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you, you guys talked about that in the Invisible Man episode, you know, like there's, there's so much to say about a guy just running around naked causing, causing havoc. Well, well,
0: well we, we, Livia, we talked about it in the Invisible Agent episode too. Yeah, yeah it's, that's right, it's, we did. it's, I, uh, you, I think at least in a modern sense, it's hard to analyze these films without acknowledging the fact that the, <laughs> the main character does have to spend a predominant amount of time. And even he actually is, uh, uh, Invisible wearing nothing at all running around and the 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 first film made made a big deal out of like the fact it was winter and that you know there was this risk of exposure and and whatnot and kind of played on that a little bit this film does that a tiny bit um there's a moment where he says oh it's warmer out today i won't have any problems or something but but yeah man just uh obviously the invisible woman uh which is the (laughs) follow-up i mean you follow up to this film played that card much more heavily just because I think there was a more of a possibility of like this tantalizing kind of, yeah, kind of aspect of sure. the story that way. So yeah, it's there, there, therein we have the double standard of, well, not just
1: the 1940s, <laughs> probably the double standard of today as well. Yeah. <laughs> That's one Let's not thing. kid ourselves, right? Yeah. It would, it would play the exact same way 80 years <laughs>
0: later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ex- ex- exactly. Um, uh, we, and then we, here we have the introduction of uh, Samson, who is, he, he's, I think he's just regarded as, he's called Samson. I'm not sure his character has a first name in the, in the story, but he's the chief constable, chief of police, chief of detectives. I'm not sure, I'm not sure what his title is, but he's, he will be the main guy um, pursuing Jeffrey, uh, you know, for the rest of the film as he, as he's trying to clear yeah. his name. Um, he's played by Cecil Calloway, who uh, we see in just, uh, right after this, he he's in the mummy's hand, right? He's... Yes. um. He's, he's the amazing
1: a, uh per, he, he's the magician guy i can't remember his name um Silvani, Silvani yeah 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 no, he's he's great um and i know he's he's you know went on you know post universal to to do some some different things but i i really wish he was in more of these movies because I, I like the the energy behind his characterizations, you know, obviously in the mummy's hands, he, he's, he's a fantastic he's great. comic relief and stuff like that here in this one. He's, he's, he's almost ruthless in a way, but it's, it's in a way that you don't hate the guy because right? he's, he's doing what what he thinks is right. You know, that there's somebody who's convicted, found guilty mm. of murder and escaped literally minutes before execution and he's smart enough to know that, okay, I'll put two and two to, degri- uh, two and two together. And, you know, Frank Griffin, the brother of Jack Griffin. And, you know, there's, there's something of foul here. And it's, it's really, it yes. makes it really fun to watch him put the pieces together. It's a little bit like Lionel Atwell and Son of Frankenstein, you know, um, where Inspector Krogh kind of mm-hmm. knows more than what he leads on. Uh, I think the same, same thing is, is here as well where Samson, I mean, I think it's almost immediately, you know, he starts talking about invisibility and he's puffing a cigar and he's like blowing smoke across the room to, you know, see if he could see anything move. So it's it's yes. fun to watch that. Yes, he's he, it's he's a
0: it's an interesting character. Yeah, he's much cleverer than his Sylvanni character. He's a very savvy kind of guy. He he reminds me a little bit he's like Sydney Green Street light. A yeah. little bit. You know, he's <laughs> he's got it's just the voice is kind of the same, just like very soft spoken, um, cloying kind of way he delivers stuff but you're right he's always he's not he's not always saying as much as he's thinking um he he instantly has figured out what happened with the invisibility thing as soon as he he, they you know they they hear he's this they hear that jeffrey's escaped um they say that he had this this visitor uh, uh uh frank griffin and there's a moment where he's like frank griffin frank griffin like i know that name i know that name when they look him up and find out who his brother was, I think he makes the instant thing. So his next step is is to go visit Frank at at the uh, F- doctor. Frank Griffin has a, a laboratory at um they refer to it as the Colliery. Uh, it's a <clears throat> it's basically a, a a coal a coal processing plant, yeah. and this is the company that uh, Jeffrey ran with along with his brother. Which did they mention the brother by name? I, I think they do. It's Michael, Matthew or something. Right? Michael. Michael, um, the deceased brother. Um, uh, um, and, and Dr. Frank Griffin has his own kind of lab there that I believe he, he, uh, he does something for the company, obviously, ostensibly, but I think he's also, you know, doing his own stuff too, as well, you know, on the, on the side as, as scientists will want to do in these films. Um, yeah, he goes, yeah, uh, uh, Samson goes and interrogates him and you're right, there's, the first few times I think I saw the movie, I was always like, the guy's just smoking a cigar the whole time, but you realize it's a, it's, it's a purposeful thing he's doing. He's constantly smoking, blowing smoke around him to make sure that there's no invisible man around because the smoke will wrap around him as we see towards the end of the film. Um, uh, In in a great effect shot. Uh, uh, But, but Samson also has this great sense of humor. He's always smiling. He's, he's rarely upset. He's rarely, you know what I mean? He's, He's like enjoying the hunt kind of. It's
1: really interesting. He is. And, and that's where I think, you know, he he knows and, and he knows he's so close to, to figuring it out. And yeah. and I think he gets enjoyment out of that knowing that he 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 has full confidence in himself that he will get who he needs to get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's 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 patient. Um
0: and 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 it's nice again, just uh, playing against the stereotypes of constantly these befuddled police officers in these movies. Yes, exactly. That that here we have a guy who's who's likable and yet, uh, pretty. Re- you're like you said, Olivia, like pretty re- uh, relentless. Like he's he's going to get his man, even if he's not. I I do believe he's not completely convinced of Jeffrey's guilt. I think he thinks there's probably maybe it it seems kind of not far-fetched but just sort of a presumptuous to to assume that that you know a guy like that would have done this and but but he is you know
1: he's he's going to follow this to, to to its end you know yeah he's oh, he's yeah. going to i mean he's going to follow the law and you know it's yeah. i think he's probably one of those types where you say you know it's not my job to find him guilty or innocent but it's my job right, to make right. sure that you know what whatever sentence yeah. was was exactly. handed down is carried out yeah, yeah,
0: he's definitely fine with letting his men just shoot at Jeffrey all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, okay, well, I don't know, just maybe you shoot him. I don't know. Uh, that's where he goes. Um, uh, so so uh, Cobb visits, uh, I should say he actually visits Doctor Griffin first, and he's asking him all about like, he he's basically saying, I know you you helped Jeffrey escape. Um, you know, I'm his cousin. I want to help him. You should tell me where he is. You should tell me where he is. So he's he's trying to work frank to to get him to tell him like what what they've done and he does the same thing with with helen you know, further on in the film and yeah and neither of them are uh are going for it they're both they're both just playing dumb and going like oh you know whatever and we don't know like yeah your guess is as good as mine <laughs> yeah. uh and, and there's tension there too and and then as as the film goes on we see that that you know upon jeffrey's death richard was gonna is gonna take over the 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 colliery and he's already in in Richard's in Jeffrey's absence i should say Richard is starting to change the policies um he's it's starting to become a more dangerous place to work for the workers yeah. He doesn't care about the workers as much you know well. um he's shutting down things he's promoting people who have no business you know having exactly. jobs and stuff yeah
1: yes <laughs> Say when, when you have uh when you promote a a an extraordinarily and obviously drunk man to be in right. charge of a very dangerous coal yeah, processing thing, yeah. operation, I think OSHA yeah. safety standards are, are no, out right? the window at that point. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I think this guy's driven by profits. He's not
0: driven by caring about his workers as, as, as Jeffrey was. And the whole film, we see uh, these little glimpses of the loyalty, all the coal miner guys. Have for their former boss Jeffrey, like they all like they, they speak up for him every chance they get. They kind of are rooting for him now that he's escaped justice. You know, they're kind of like, oh, he'll he'll never be caught. He's too smart for them. Yeah. you know. <laughs> um, we see all these examples of it, and and then and then of course, um, uh, Spears is 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 always like talking down to him and stuff like that. Spears is played by the great Alan Napier, uh, who, yes. he, who he's he's in House of Horrors, obviously, but he's most notable for
1: playing Alfred in the '60s Batman series. That's right, and he he uh and I think i mean i I for the longest time only knew him as Alfred, and yes, but there's only only a few glimpses of of that in this role he'd honestly it'd be easy if you didn't know who Alan Napier was by name, it'd right. be easy to not. Not at all recognize that those two are the are the same actors because he does such an amazing job at playing this, this is this this yeah. drunk, pathetic, you know, <laughs> just just lowbrow bully yeah. kinda
0: No. Um uh no and I know I knew he's in the film and I'm watching the film, I was like, Who's that guy playing Spears? And I had to look it up, it's like, wait, that is okay, that's Alan. Like First of all, I don't remember Alan Napier being as tall as this guy is. This guy's a giant. He's a head taller than everyone else in the scenes he's in. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's Alan Napier good. was really tall. I know he's tall. I mean, I remember him being your tall and angular in um in in House of Horrors as the he's the very sinister kind of nasty uh, uh art critic kind of guy in that film who gets yeah. killed quite early on. Please refer back to our episode on House of Horrors from 2021. Um Maybe he shrunk a little bit by the time he got to because to, he was li- he was an elderly more elderly man by the time he did the sixties Batman obviously but yeah, that or but Adam West was, was, was
1: just incredibly tall as Batman
0: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly by so by comparison yeah so, so 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 Dick Grayson's the only guy who comes off in short shorts anyway yeah so this is this is what's going on behind the scenes now I mean uh, back to our, you know, more or less hero of the story. Uh, Jeffrey is, as he's found this suitcase full of clothes that's been left out for him. And so he gets dressed, um, obviously it includes the bandages and the requisite kind of goggles and everything that, that come with the, the, uh, you know, the basic kit for any, yeah, your, any, uh, invisible man, right?
1: Invisible man package. Yeah.
0: Yes. <laughs> the tinted glasses and, the, the whole kind of deal. Um, and he's going to wrap that that whole thing up, and he's going to go to this little little out of the way kind of cottage that um, that that uh, Helen has rented to, and she's waiting for him to to come. And he and he finally shows up um, uh, to to meet her. There's there's a uh, there's kind of a doddering dot. I don't know if doddering's the word. There's there's a funny guy who manages the cottage uh, named Ben, who's played by Forrester Harvey, Forster who Harvey, who is yeah. our. A uh, uh, assistant police guy in
1: uh, in Wolfman, right? And the um, the owner of the, um, the oh, right, inn, and the Invisible Man, the Invisible man, man, right? Una so O'Connor's his, husband.
0: <laughs> he's uno O'Connor. That's right. He's Uno O'Connor. I forgot. So he shows up in this one as well as as a and again as a completely different character. So I thought he was the guy in in Tower of London who catches eels in the in the moat, but I think that's a different
1: character. I think I'd always mm. thought these were the oh, same yeah. character. I'm not sure on that one. But yeah, no, he's he's definitely in the Wolfman and then here in uh was in, in the Invisible Man and then uh here in Invisible Man Returns. And then yeah. uh, Harry Stubbs, the the police officer mm-hmm. so here in, in a minute, he was also he was one of the first victims of Claude Rain's The Invisible Man, also playing a policeman <laughs> in that one who gets kind of bludgeoned right. with the ink. Uh, that's right. The, that the that's ink. that guy, yeah, yeah, yeah with that with that accent yeah um uh, also
0: notable right around this time in the film notable other uh, cameos uh harry cording from the original black cat yeah uh, uh shows up as one of the the mine the mine worker guys um also frank's uh nurse assistant secretary type person is uh jean brooks and who uh, shows up later in leopard man and if you I want to see a pretty woman look up Jean Brooks on IMDb and look at her headshot cuz wow she was a <laughs> she was a knockout back in those days wow um <laughs> I I want to look up more more films she was in uh, <laughs> yeah she's great she had a very small parts she only has a few lines and stuff she just basically just escorts people into Frank's office and and out so it's not very um you know um uh we 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 start getting the the uh, the the kind of subplot that goes through this film, and it's our it's our ticking clock in the film that creates our tension, because I think every you know every Invisible Man movie needs there has to be a a negative side effect to invisibility, right? Or yes. or it's just or it's just awesome. Yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> Why like, would you not? It's want just this? cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and maybe like oh, I might never be able to be, become visible again is is its own kind of risk element to, to that that kind of a, a topic but i think there are universal always consistently through through most of its its invisible man movies um with the exception of maybe Invisible woman maybe invisible man meets abbott and costello uh there's always this idea that the 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 chemical this duocane that creates invisibility that jack griffin originally discovered um has a side effect and the side effect is it is it slowly drives um the 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 user of it crazy, uh, it creates this kind of monomania, uh, it, it almost turns them into like, 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 like sadists,
1: right? Yes, absolutely. And, and I I think there's a nice, a nice contrast or nice difference between, uh, the, the James Whale, Invisible Man and this movie, The Invisible Man Returns, because in the Invisible Man, it's definitely more of a horror film because the, the, the character is already, Already, you know, lost his mind. And Mm -hmm. on top of that, he's extremely violent. Um, Yes. He he does so many despicable things. Uh, uh, Honestly, it's reminiscent of uh, like someone like the Joker in Batman who who laughs as he does these like maniacal things. In this movie, it's more of a a little bit, almost more of a, I don't want to say science fiction, maybe more of of a thriller because there's no, there's not a lot of horror element to it um but you have this kind of this ominous feeling as as the movie goes on of knowing that you know what could potentially come you know the madness that that happens mm-hmm. and will he be able to come back and then that that's kind of one plot and or one storyline and then the the other of just we have to clear his name we have to prove that he's innocent and you know, show that Richard Cobb is is actually the the murderer. So it's, it's more kind of a like a crime crime thriller as opposed to a a straight horror. But I I really really like the as this movie progresses how they handle and and deal with that um, I guess the oncoming madness that Vincent Price mm-hmm, starts mm-hmm. to starts to go through. I think I think it's done very very well.
0: Well, they they spend more time or they are able to spend more time showing the downward slide of yes. of, of of his soul you know uh you're right in in the original whale film uh, with with uh, with Claude rains and it's 33 right yes yeah 33 um he's already kind of gone over a little bit when we meet him is the problem he's been invisible for a bit um and it's already kind of taken him over so even by the time if he's not totally crazy um uh when he shows up at the inn with uh, uno O'Connor's inn um he's at least very unpleasant he's he's not a very likable dude uh, no, it's
1: it, it from, from the start and very little to send him over the edge too because you know he he yeah. <laughs> he's he's very quick to snap at uno o'Connor and obviously it takes mm-hmm. like you know like her bringing him lunch or something at the time he yeah. doesn't want it, and then he's trying to push people down the stairs so
0: yeah, yeah exactly it yeah it's take just much. kind of a <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of a jerk, and I, and I do think it's why. While I, while I think it's a great film, the Invisible Invisible Man has never been absolutely one of my top favorite Universal films because I think it it doesn't it doesn't do the thing that Universal did best was create sympathetic villains or monsters or whatever like that. Yeah. Um, Jack Griffin is never that sympathetic. You're never really you kind of can understand his plight, but you're never really on his side. Because he's horrible and he's killed even in this film they, they mentioned that he killed hundreds of people. Like yeah. he killed, remember he wrecks a train <laughs> exactly, and crap. Yeah. Like, come on, dude. Um I actually paused I'm watching the film as we we as usual as as we go through the episode. Um I have it up on my TV and I've paused it just as um Samson has opened up the file and showed uh, on Jack Griffin and shown the it to Frank. range picture. And and the clone range picture and right to the right of it it says Yard, class, maniac slash murderer. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so that is how... So Frank Griffin has... And we, we assume... Fra- Frank Griffin seems like he's a bit... He's younger than his brother. So by a few years at least. Like, it, it seems like maybe there was like an eight or so year difference between the two brothers. So maybe when Jack was doing his his thing, Frank was still in school. You know, <laughs> obviously not. Perhaps, yeah. He wasn't in proximity
1: with him, which is... I guess it explains why he wasn't part of the story. Yeah. I mean, you... you, you... Don't really get a whole lot of connection outside of the name, and you know, it yeah, just passed down the invisibility formula somehow. You know,
0: prob- probably ob- ob- obviously you got that. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's like the Frankenstein, the book of life and death. Like it just yeah. goes down. It's the first thing bequeathed to to each uh, each each uh, each of the next in line. Yeah. Um, Here's how you um, yeah, can but ruin there's a great life. Thick, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like step by step instructions to just destroy your life and and that of everyone around you, um, uh, but. So now we're you know we're a good couple you know twenty minutes into into the film and we do get our first view of uh, Vincent Price's as 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 uh, Jeffrey in the the telltale bandages uh, goggles the whole thing and he shows up with that in the hat and stuff but this time he wears a hat it's cool um I I'm not I, I, if I have if I have a real criticism of this film I don't feel I feel like somehow they didn't get the 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 way the bandages wrap his face, as well as they did in the first film, something's there's something very. um His head just sort of his face just sort of goes away and it just becomes a mass of bandages and you you lose. I mean, look, you've got a young, very handsome Vincent Price doing the film with the, with the aquiline nose and you know his his really inc- impressive like the physique of his face. Um, and the way the bandages are in this film seems like they kind of lost that a little bit. And I don't know if yeah. there was a... I don't know if... I, I, my feeling is that in the 33 film, they they actually wrapped um, Claude Rains' face with bandages. And in this one, there might have been some sort of mask with
1: bandages on top of it that was maybe easier to get on and off, right? Yeah, I, I was thinking the same thing because yeah. in, in close-ups of... Uh, Claude Rains, when he's bandaged up, you can still, you can see like his, it's hard to describe, but you can see his mouth move and like the separation between his nose and the yes. you know, bandage around his nose and, and the way his mouth moves. Here, you don't get that at all. And I, and I wonder if, just from a more of a, I guess, a time constraint, um, just in terms of trying to mm-hmm. get the film done on time, if they didn't just, like you said, put bandages or something on a mask or, or I, a black velvet you know whatever to just go over his face
0: um, i think this became kind of the way they did stuff in the 40s and and it's yeah. it's the same as as i you know the the mummy in when cheney is is the mummy it's a it's some sort of bodysuit that they created that that had bandages glued to it and then i think they put a few extra on top of it yeah. and i i you're right i i think it's just a, a way they pierce or or somebody because like here's my question would I, and and I have no idea. Maybe someone who's listening to this can can let us know once they hear this episode. Like I'm not sure would Pierce have been in charge of the bandages of his face, or would that be a costume department uh, deal? Like like now in a, in a current film, I don't know. It would be it would be up in the air who sort of decided or who shared that responsibility. Here, I, I feel like it would be something Pierce would have wanted to be in charge of, right? Because this was kind of his baby. Yeah. But who knows? I don't know. And,
1: and also, there's the. You know John P. Fulton's department too, with, with special yeah. effects. So obviously sure. he's going to have some say in and you know direction there as well. So
0: yeah, because because John B. John B. Fulton, who was in charge of Universal special effects department all from from uh, from the early '30s all the way through this era, um, he's really you know we credit Jack Pierce as the maker of all the monsters in in the Universal canon. You could make an argument that 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 John B. Fulton is really the Jack Pierce of the Invisible Man movies because these oh, yes. films are less about the actual makeup and they're actually about the the optical uh, and and floor effects that were used to sell the idea of an invisible man in 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 a, in a very in very early film. I mean, film is film's forty years old or so, and they're doing all this stuff,
1: and it's just yeah, it, it's not, amazing when you think about it. And even yeah. on top of that, I mean. Uh, even even though this is really early on in in the second boom or second um, era of yeah. universal horrors, that they were obviously still in a very mm, assembly line, I guess um, mm-hmm. mode. You know, whereas you you have twenty seven days to shoot the film, you know, get it done, and then you've got a week yes. of post production, and then I think um, I was reading, you know, John P. Fulton's work on this was like four or five days, and and I'm right. sure they were you know, eighteen to twenty hour plus days to yeah, yeah. to go to in grab and stuff, do this. Yeah. But it's it's amazing the stuff they were able to accomplish with A mm-hmm. with limited resources compared to what we have to deal with now. But then B just the the such a short time frame to do it in. It's 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 yeah, it yeah. amazes me.
0: It's because it's it, it like with most effects that are done like on camera on 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 the day, um it's just about getting it right and getting the effect to work and getting the lighting and getting the camera position getting all the different things have to work together to sell the the gag whatever that gag is it's about getting that to work and that takes time and time is when you are not when you don't have a huge budget um you have to shoot faster because it's cheaper to shoot something more quickly than because you're paying people less and you're paying less time for rentals and all the other stuff um uh and and so so things don't always get the time they just des- you wish they deserved you know, um, and and you know that's that's the nature of and again yeah they are making they're making movies differently here in the forties than they were in nineteen thirty three, at, at oh, Universal definitely. you know yeah. I I the, the original Visual Man had had its own kind of it's it's like comparing Son of Frankenstein to Bride of Frankenstein again right like Universal was a different animal in nineteen forty nineteen thirty nine nineteen forty
1: yeah absolutely and and it's it's sometimes uh, amazing to think about that just there's only seven years difference between the original visible man and and this yeah. movie and just the change and the difference in production just despite the fact that it was obviously not not quote an a picture and it was kind of a hurried through but just yeah. from the music to the lighting to the special effects you know right and and all that stuff how much how much had improved in such a short amount of time
0: it it's really true um and but i also i just think you're seeing the difference in the the way the lemleys produced films and the way universal produced films post lemleys where where i think that i think Carl and Carl jr wanted every film as much as possible to be its own little masterpiece right i think yes. they i think that was their and i'm not i don't know if that was just like you know just for the sake of art i think i think they thought that was what made them competitive was to do these very high class pieces and you know in more towards the 40s again here we go we we start churning out a lot of popular entertainment uh, in universal not to say it's any better or worse or something but yeah it there's a difference obviously and it, and it is palpable i'm not sure i really love his gray tweed uh suit <laughs> in this scene either cuz it you know it's, it's- like
1: it's not the smoking here's something jacket. That's for sure. <laughs> no,
0: right, well, he gets to that, but yeah, at this point, it's it's my if I have a if some, something that really does set like we're back to just for one minute talking about the difference of these 30, 40s movies from the thirties. You go back and you watch Frankenstein, Dracula, Bride of Frankenstein, um, Black Cat. You know, you see a lot of very uh, high key differences in tone. You see a lot of shadows and a lot of lights, a lot of bright whites, a lot of dark blacks. You get into these forties movies, this one, Mummy's Hand, and everything. Um, it turns into a lot of gray. Yeah, it does. And 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 it in it, it, except for certain, you know, films and certain scenes, obviously you still stand out, but there's a there's a lot of middle tones that they tend to make the frame just a little flatter. It, it, it's a little less dynamic, It's a little less horrifying. The you lose the chiaroscuro or NOR kind of sensibility, whatever, whatever you want to term it yeah, as. It, um, and in this one, he's wearing kind of gray bandages and a gray suit, and he's, and he's standing in a gray room. And and Nan Gray is named yeah. Nan Gray, and <laughs> yeah. I just realized that um, uh, it's a it's a lot of like muted tones. So it it, it it's it's what it is and stuff. Um, I have a note here. Does do you think the mummy ever looks at the Invisible Man and goes, hey, that's <laughs> yeah. my thing, right? Because yeah. he's basically, it's like he's cosplaying a little yeah. bit. Like,
1: all right. Like, Can
0: you please tell me where you got those from? <laughs> I know. I look a little more comfortable than... <laughs> look, dude, I've been doing the bandage thing for 4,000 years, okay? It's my thing. <laughs> Come on. Find something else. Get a ski mask. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> um, um Again, uh I and I, I think I skewed off the topic at one point. <clears throat> the, the the kind of running ticking clock in this thing is that Frank has been forced to give Jeffrey the uh the duocane elixir to make him invisible to save his life from being hanged. He's had to do it before he's perfected the antidote. He's he's got these guinea pigs that he's testing the antidote on, and it's a really it's a great scene with a lot of cool effects Thanks to full of these little harnesses the guinea pigs are in, like, moving by themselves and just, like. Yeah. And, and then he brings them back and you see the skeleton first and you see the little pooper thing and stuff. It's really funny. But the problem is, and it's kind of sad, is that, is that you know, these guinea pigs he's experimenting on, when he gives them the antidote and he brings them back to visibility, they die. Yeah. So... So here's the problem is is that he can't he can't give Jeffrey this thing or Jeffrey you know he he'll probably kill Jeffrey which defeats the purpose of getting him out of prison obviously in the first place. Yeah, you don't want to escape the death sentence just to die by by
1: right. the invisibility like antidote, your, yeah.
0: Your friend j- jacking you with a, ni- a, a needle, yeah, exactly. Um so 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 here's the thing. Yeah, but but Fulton has some great effects here. There's some stop motion, there's some optical effects, and then there's also there's a lot of wire gags in this thing where these very, very yeah. thin wires move around like like when um at the end when when uh Jeffrey's got the gun on 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 Cobb and if you really look at it, you can see the yeah, little wires them, holding yeah. this gun up. But wow, it's that must have been tricky because a gun is, you know, a couple pounds and just a suspended, not make it wobble, really make it look like it was in someone's hands and stuff. It's really uh, the guy, the guy was really brilliant, and without him, I don't think we'd we'd have these films. These are just no, not at all. These are just uh, uh, uh smashing. And and again, it was really hard to do. Um, Vincent Price would have to wear a black hood, basically of like very non reflective black material, and then they'd wrap bandages around him, and then he had to unwrap the bandages out from under him. And there were scenes where he they'd have to film him against all black to make him invisible. So it's it's it was tricky stuff. And and again, like you said, I don't think it went quickly uh uh and that gets frustrating and i i know they had some late nights on this oh yes uh, uh, imdb talks about them shooting till like four thirty a.m or something which i don't think you'd be allowed to do now but anyway
1: yeah uh, it, it's interesting th- which is quite good the you know the screen actors guild was a thing by this point so yes you know that they they were they were very i think they were pushing the limits and i i yeah. think the director's style from from what, what i've read is was kind of very slow and methodical and I, yes the studio was not happy at how how much over um schedule it went. It right. um and you know he he um i mean but to I makes mean, to his credit i think he did a a very good job I, and i i do th- and uh, we'll get back to the story in just a minute, but i do want to point out that for a movie that was directed by a German and written by a german. They did a great job at, uh, having just a very, like a British feel to it, you know. It's out, true. Yeah. Outside of, uh, Sir Cedric Har- Hardwick, who that just kind of comes with him, but. Right. Um, right. They, I think they did good at capturing, um, just the, the overall nature, if you will, of, uh, kind of a British, British story.
0: Especially when you know that Universal just has racks and racks of Lederhosen you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for to pull out any time they want to do a festival of the new wine or anything, yeah. you know, in Transylvania, they they're ready with the Lederhosen, So to be German and say no, 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 we're going to stick with the tweed suits, no, Lederhosen. They, 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 no Um Yeah, Joe May doesn't really do any more Universals after this. I don't think. I'm not sure this. I'm not sure. I'm not sure they, if they thought this was a good
1: pairing. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think he won too many. I don't know what else he did. Fans in this. This time, mm-hmm. <laughs> plus yeah. and, and the, the language barrier alone, I would say. I, I was, was going to say, you know, it, yeah. you're 1940, and so you're obviously the the war is 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 full on in right. Europe, and it's about to hit America. And if you're someone that really doesn't speak English, but you speak German, it's unfortunate, but at the, you he probably wasn't looked on too favorably. <laughs> You, you you yeah I was gonna say you would be you would be kind of an odd man
0: out I, I, I wouldn't be surprised I'm actually looking up Joe May right now and see what else he did he directed uh, well he directed 89 films so the guy got around um I did some house of Seven Gables after this and stuff um uh, he, he this is more towards the end of his career it looks like he did a ton of silent stuff in Germany so he comes out of that same um, uh, UFA uh I'm sure kinda yeah. kinda history too or, or or something similar at least over in Germany. Um and, and probably knew all the guys over there. He probably knew Murnau and and, and everybody younger, And, yeah. and um,
1: you, like so many others like Kurt Schildmack and and Hans Salter mm-hmm. and, and uh Martin Koslik, you know, flood you flood know, and when, flood over here, yeah. When things started to get really bad and, and wound yeah. up making it's interesting. I know you've talked about this.
0: Imagine Nazis have taken over your country and you <laughs> yeah. go over to America and you're directing an Invisible Man movie. Like yeah, I know. how
1: surreal is that, right? It is, but I mean it's like I said you you've you've touched on this before and I think it's good to point out, you know, so so many immigrants from Europe came over in the the 30s and 40s and mm-hmm. made such a huge impact for these yes. these films at Universal. It's it's incredible to think about. No there's for a, sure.
0: And there's there there's a lot of artistry in this film. I mean, he 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 was a talented visualist. This this yeah. this is not to knock. This
1: is a this is a great looking film. it is. There's a quote by uh Kurt Sjodmach he gave in an interview. And if you know anything about Kurt Kurt Shield-Mac, he he liked to, you know, talk. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and he would, would tell stories sometimes. But um he said uh he, he was I think this was done in like the nineteen eighties or something, um when whoever the person who talked to him was and Kurt said something, I'm going to paraphrase here, but he said something to the fact of, of right now I'm I'm living, you know, better than anybody else. And at, every night I go outside and, and look over my estate of of however many acres and I say, Heil Hitler, because without that SOB, uh, I would have still been in Berlin <laughs> and not made it here out to California living off this, <laughs> you know, <Interesting>. my
0: success. <laughs> right, right, right. He sees it in perspective. That's interesting. Yeah, really um man yeah because he did he he came here and became a smash um like so many guys like yeah like laurie like everybody um uh there's a a, a, a patrolman bobby guy on a bicycle uh a guy um who who they there's a dog on the property that that jeffrey and and helen are staying at uh in secret for the time being and the dog does not like jeffrey uh whether it's just no. that cause he's invisible or he smells the duo cane or if he just happens to know, not like Jeffrey, I don't know. <laughs> cause it seems like a nice stuffed dog. He just doesn't like the dude. Um, and he's barking incessantly and two things happen. You, you, you see, uh, the irritability in, in Jeffrey starting to come yes. out and it's the kind of that first sign of the duo cane starting to do what it does on him. Uh, but they they send the dog away and they tie him up somewhere in the woods and stuff, and then the 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 police guy happens to hear him barking and pedals up and sees him because he's cause he's bicycling through the woods as policemen often do, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll go past that, whatever. Um uh the he he knows the dog and he, and he knows where the dog lives, and he takes the dog and leads it to the cabin. And this brings the Bobby to the cabin, and this brings the Bobby coming upstairs and and seeing Jeffrey and all the bandages and I guess the the constable guy's been told enough to know that he, you know it he, he runs back down, and he gets on the phone and he's like, Hey, hey, this guy's here, you know. Yeah. Um meanwhile we are uh and, and even even uh Helen is definitely noticing um there's a the personality change is is starting with with uh with Jeffrey, and and it's 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 kind of sad to see um, what's going on. Um, he knows he's going to have to escape, and there's a great <laughs> the cops are coming. And he, there's a great line where he says, "Turn around. This may not be very pleasant." Yeah, and it's one of those one of those things where you take that out of context, and you just yeah. go like like, 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 I wonder if there's a moment where someone's like, "Let's put that on the poster." And yeah, like, yeah, maybe. Maybe Tad not. Line of the movie. Turn around. <laughs> yeah. It may not be pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> it may not be pleasant. <laughs> Um, uh, but it's, it's really, uh, you know, she knows what's been done to him. You know, she was kind of in on it and yet there's the, the moments where she accidentally kind of sees him if he takes his glove off to wipe her, her, her tears with a a hanky or when she turns around and sees him actually taking the thing off and, and uh, really does affect her. She, like, she passes out. Like, she just kind of, like, um... Maybe it's one of those things where she's like, you know, the idea of it she understood, but to see it in real life, to see her, 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 the love of her life, kind of like not there, must be so creepy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine that. That'd be weird. Just or just seeing someone actually invisible as they take their, you know, their stuff off it would, yeah, right? kind of freak you out. Yeah. Um.
0: The the constable there. It's funny stuff where he's like he's like like don't let him you know because they're saying like don't let him take his clothes off and the guy's like the constable's yeah. like well he's not what <laughs> what, Wait, what? <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't understand his instructions. Um the one thing about the the there the the invisible man movies and woman movies and what have you um that Universal did, there's there's kind of a weird tension, right? Because it there's there's these dark undertones of the story. And, you know, I I think it's about to me, this is my interpretation, anyone else is welcome to their own, but to me it's it's about, you know, when when these characters bodies become invisible the the things inside them that are invisible start becoming prevalent you know yes. there's like a a transfer right so you start seeing the nature the true nature that people hide from people becomes becomes visible as their skin and and everything else goes away um and to me that's kind of the theme of of almost all of these films uh but 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 the in contrast to that there's a lot of like real antic comedy in these films and I, I guess that's like the nature of like a, a an invisible guy running around like there's mm-hmm. gonna have to be it's not slapstick but it's almost like I mean in the first one it's, it's whale plays it really high where yes you know, he's he's kicking people into, into ditches and throwing you know throwing. In, pair, in people's pair of faces pants chasing someone down the street yeah, yeah. giggling is how you, like like whale i think the nature of whale is that he wanted to take that to its most absurd end and just enjoy that um and in invisible agent it works great because because now you just have an invisible guy kicking the crap out of a bunch of nazis which yeah <laughs> everybody's going to enjoy that especially in in the the era, the era it came out in of course um but but the I don't know if I'm making myself clearly, but like, the, do you get what I'm saying? Like the, these two things are kind of, it's, it's like the movie's either trying to do one or the other. It's tr- either trying to be yeah. serious or it's trying to be funny. And sometimes it's like almost trying to do both at the same time. And there's like a tension there. It's wild. I know.
1: It's just so, it, and I, I was actually thinking about this before we started recording and I, I'm not sure if they were trying to recreate more of, of a James Whale feel, uh, just because mm-hmm. obviously he was, he was. He blended those two pretty well between the right. violence and the horror, and then the comedy. It, it just well, really black comedy, and, and I think yes. that, that's probably the part that was missing in in this one. I, the The funny bits are not exact; they're played just for laughs. It's not it's not a satirical or not a not a black comedy per se. Yeah, and, and it, I don't. And know. also, also like the darkness doesn't get it doesn't get that dark. No, it doesn't. It, not at all. So it's, yeah, yeah, and. The next, I mean, you look at the Invisible Woman, which is the next up. That's kind of a straight comedy. I mean, there's there's nothing. There's no, I don't think there's even much suspense in that one. It's, um, and then they kind of which we're gonna, yeah, we're
0: gonna have to cover. Yeah, so eventually, <laughs> we'll see when we get to that. That that guys that might not be for a
1: little bit. We might do an Invisible Man's Revenge before that. To be honest, we'll see. Yeah, but and then Invisible Agent it kind of comes back. But like I said, there's still some yeah. funny bits where they're playing around with like the Nazi guards and stuff. The Invisible yes. Man's Revenge, I think, kind of eliminates most of the most of the the ha stuff and, and is more of a of a dark right. story. It's a,
0: yeah, I'm, I'm I am looking forward to that one. I will say, um, and, and and I'm honestly looking forward to having a Costume being Invisible Man too because I kind of enjoyed that one too. I remember that from when I was a kid. So we'll see, um, but yeah, and then the other the other thing is very long extended. Dinner and eating scenes in all these movies, yes. right? I mean, in the first one, it's the whole. You know, O'Connor interrupts him with the while he's eating. In Invisible Agent, there's that. There's that. It's like the entire second act is them sitting there
1: eating at at at
0: the the girl's uh, apartment, right? Yeah, <laughs> Which, I know.
1: It, it, you know what it reminds me of when I I think about it. It's I think, who, I, I think it was Stan Winston, um, who was special effects guy. And Mm -hmm. he'd worked on the the original Jurassic Park movies and he had talked about how progressively, at least for the first three movies, like more and more water was used and how much of a heart, you know, headache it was for him to. Have to, oh, oh, you know, right. Yeah. Rain in the first one, a waterfall in the second one, a lake in the third one. Oh, yeah. Because you know? the, the dinosaurs would get wet yeah, and then the animatronics start, and yes. everything got heavy. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah that. So I, I can imagine like John Fulton, you know, looking like, like, you know, another dinner scene, a longer dinner scene, you know, a Nazi dinner yeah. scene, you know, like, when will yeah, it end? yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, well, you guys with the dinner scenes, why do you keep writing the dinner scenes? Okay. Yeah. Um, for, for a character who, who basically can't eat or drink because the, the food and, and liquid would, is visible in him for a certain amount of time until his body absorbs in it, I guess, and breaks it down. And then he turns into invisibility, which let's, let's just drop that topic here <laughs> yeah. before we go any further with that. Uh, <laughs> we don't need to get into like the scatology of invisibility. Um, uh, back to the story jeffrey does uh he escapes out the window um but in doing so he leaves a fingerprint which is interesting because and they and they match the fingerprint and now they know that this the invisible guy at this this cabin was 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 jeffrey um it's an interesting that he leaves a fingerprint because a fingerprint is 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 the oils of your skin that are left deposited um on you know a piece of glass or whatever like that um and and you know where where the the tiny tiny ridges of your of your thumb are is what makes contact and that's what the oils you know adhere to to the glass or whatever and then they use a powder or dust and stuff to to stick in just those those ridges and that's how they take a fingerprint and that's how they you know in the yeah. old days now now i think it's all digital but yeah um but it's interesting him being vis him being invisible yet the oil of his skin while invisible still does make a deposit on the, on the window. So it's funny to just, I just think the idea that they take a finger print from an invisible man is just a hilarious thing and they, and they sell right through the science of it and it makes total sense. Yeah, it does. They,
1: they, like I said, they, they sell it and they, they make it work.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a guy, they compare it and everything. Um, uh, dactylology still kind of new in the forties still. Like I, I think it was only about like the, it was right at the end of the 19th century. It became a, a uh, a thing that the police departments and, and law enforcement used but I don't think there was like a registry for it until probably around this time or so so it's still it's kind of innovative technology is my point at, the, at yeah. this point it's pro- the audience was probably like oh interesting <sighs> Helen comes back from the cabin uh, Richard's been worried about her and he manages to open his mouth enough that she you know she starts getting a hint that that he's got these feelings for her that, yeah. that um obviously she she couldn't Care less about him. <laughs> she gives him this look that's just like she kind of shuts it like, down pretty pretty effectively. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. And she's like, "I just, I can I go up to my room, please?" You know, I just she she's just had a pretty crazy situation with 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 Jeffrey. With where he, she saw him disappearing and and the whole deal. Um, and Cobb Cobb says like, "Okay, well, you know, come down later after you have rested to the to the study, and we're going to have a conversation." And I feel like he's. Cobb is starting to get to a point where he kind of has to tell her how he feels, I guess. So he's, I, I think he's starting to feel like th- things are starting to s- spiral out of control with Jeffrey not being executed and now being on the run. And now, you know, um, and he knows as long as Jeffrey's alive that she's still going to have, you know, the, the the bond with him and not yeah. with him. So he's trying to take everything from Jeffrey. He's trying to take his business. He took his brother. He's trying to take his business. He's trying to take uh, her. He's He's getting ready to fire Frank. Uh, uh, Griffin, you know, he's, he's really like trying to usurp everything that was Jeffrey's. And you just get the feeling like, you know, Jeffrey must've just overshadowed this guy so much in life. And then he's just, he just wants to basically kind of tear down everything the guy had and claim it as his own and stuff. It's uh, just a, just twirly mustache universal villain, you know? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Perfect for Sir Cedric Hardwick. <laughs> hmm. and he does, you know, he, and he does it great. He's, he's, he's just awesome. He's, 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 it's an at will type character, at will esque type character. Um,
1: he's, he's enjoyable to
0: hate. You're like, okay, yeah, um, there's no, I, I,
1: I don't, even at the very end where he comes clean with everything, you know, that I don't, there's no redeeming qualities here. Uh, no, for, no,
0: yeah, you're not Richard sorry Tom. about it at all. No. Yeah, yeah. And you're happy to see him starting to just like lose all his stuff. As,
1: as the film goes on and on and on. Um, that's interesting. That um, is one thing that okay. that I think is – I'm glad you brought that up. That's one thing that's worth putting out in this this movie because so many of these, or whether they're horror films or not, just films of the era, you know, will show kind of mm-hmm. the villain in control and and seemingly in, in power. Um, right. With a lot of power behind them for most of the film until, you know, obviously the end when they're dethroned. For lack of a better term, but yes, in this one, Cobb is never really. I mean, he comes close. It's it's almost more, much more of a realistic um, take on you had this really actually happened, you know? Because yeah, he he's nefarious in his plotting and, and what he's trying to do, but the actual execution is is yes. not there, and um, it, it's he's never really in charge. He's never really wielding a big hand to, to have all these terrible things happen. He, he's, he's kind like of said more, he's kind of more of waiting in the wings, wanting to get the girl and doing mm-hmm. everything he can to keep him, keep his guilt uh, a secret, which it does not take long for it to come out.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, he's not, he's no like arch villain mastermind or anything like that. He's just like kind of a, a schlub who's made bad decisions and he's trying to kind of, you know, keep all the ends together and stuff. But yeah, you you get the feeling like even if he, his plan succeeded, he probably would have run the coal business into the ground anyway, or something, you know what I mean? He's just, maybe there's a reason Jeffrey was the shining star of, of the Radcliffe family. And he was, you know, while older, I mean, he's obviously older than Jeffrey. I don't know, uh, uh, you know, what, how old he's supposed to be in the film, but he's, you know, almost a full generation, seemingly older than, than Vincent Price. Um, uh you can see why he didn't get the company i guess yes <laughs> or, or maybe his side of the family didn't get it i don't know um uh, so um the there's unrest in the at the colliery um i keep saying colliery cuz it's a new word for me i'm enjoying saying it i come from pittsburgh which is a coal <laughs> is a coal town yeah. so the the idea that this is called colliery which they built that entire the, 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 in the film, the whole front of the factory and the big bit where the, 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 um, little coal carts go up the thing and turn around and dump their coal and everything like that. Universal built that whole thing on the back a lot. That seems like a lot. That's a big build yeah, for this film. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was really impressed with that. I think, I think some of it is forced perspective. So I think some of the mill, the smokestacks and things in the background are built, they're closer to camera than you think they are, but they're built smaller in size. So yeah. it appears that they're receding in, in the distance and it, ma- it makes it appear like the, the thing it's like the church in the, in the cemetery in the first Superman movie with Christopher Reeve was only like 10 feet tall <laughs> and they just, they just faked it and they put it closer. And, and it's that thing where like, if you're there on the set, you're like, this would never work. And then the magic of film, it, it works just great. And,
1: um, and I will say, I mean, cause we, we've, I mean, we've, we've talked about how, you know, kind of quickly these, Forties universals were were churned out, but it, it's worth yeah. noting that you know, even though it was a very tight schedule and kind of a, a smaller budget, they did take a lot of care that maybe wasn't didn't exist you know post nineteen forty one to mm-hmm. um, to make this a, a, a I guess a bigger movie because it's most yeah. of the forties movies are about an hour long and this one's mm-hmm. an hour and twenty minutes and you know it has some good sets and it has. I think much more of a involved or, or realistic plot than than some of the other, right. like say, oh, Mad Doctor oh, yeah. or Market Street or you know something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of
0: course. Um, it's also got it does have some original music to it, right? It's it's some oh, bright yeah. of Frankenstein, but it's got its own its own plenty original score so, that you end up hearing
1: later on too. Yeah. So you know, I touched on this last week, but the kind of the genesis for all of the '40s Universal comes from three films, music wise. Anyways, three films: Son of Frankenstein. The Invisible Man Returns and The Wolfman. So mm-hmm. they use some of Frank Skinner's Son of Frankenstein Score in this movie, like in the ending and, and stuff like that. But uh Hans Salter um is kind of behind most of the original music here. So like the main yeah. title um he wrote and it's reused like in man made monster um and and a few other uh, films right. of
0: the era. Uh, well it's, it's really good because it's 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 a very romantic uh, a melody, which is, is nice, because again, there's not a lot of horror, outright horror in the film. So it it's neat that Universal had that in its library. Then moving on, because whenever they needed a scene that that was was less terrifying and more, you know, a dramatic scene and stuff like that, this is this is a good go to because it's yeah,
1: it's, it's beautiful stuff. Absolutely, and, and the very the ending music, um, something that Salter did um, when Vincent Price materializes. Mm was what they re we re- did for the very end of son of Dracula, which is very, it, it's probably one of my favorite, if not my favorite oh, cool. piece of music out of the, the universal right. uh, horrors, but I'll, I'll save that for our, uh, our music episode. <laughs>
0: yes, 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 for, for sure. Um, uh, Jeffrey shows up at, at Frank's, uh, laboratory kind of sneaks in. Um, and there's this, uh, there's this acknowledgement where he say, he says like how long do you think I have? And Frank's like I don't know, <laughs> a couple of days. I don't know, like before you go go totally, totally mad. Um, they, it's all out on Front Street, you know. Uh, uh, Jeffrey Jeffrey is very well aware of the risk he took to clear his name and to also find the the you know the killer of his brother. Um, uh, there's a neat scene where where uh. Frank has to take blood from him and there's you know the the whole bit where he's got to he's got to find a vein which if you are ever given blood sometimes it's hard for the doctors to find a vein anyway yes much less you know <laughs> it, it, when you're invisible yeah. so yeah he's trying to have to give him a poke and stuff um but there's a neat thing where he puts a little uh dye or something in the vial that has the blood in it and it actually turns the blood color you know you know visible so um this is what he's going to try to use to to um to help create the the antidote that's going to bring Jeffrey back um uh their little thing is interrupted by by uh, Spears, our character we mentioned earlier that 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 uh, um, that uh, Alan Napier plays. Um, S- Spears now, as he, again, he was like a night watchman, and he's obviously drunk, and, but he's been promoted to this position of power and the thing. And he's telling he's he's speaking he's talking back to uh, Frank, who, who technically I guess outranks him, but he's not afraid of him because because he's Cobb's guy yeah and he he's basically been given to understand that like look things are going to change around here um we don't uh frank is objecting to to something that that like the some of the coal miners are having to go in a certain tunnel or something like that um the company is sending them and and it's and it's dangerous and it's deadly or toxic for them or something and they're like stop it let them go in and let them get poisoned who cares they're just workers you know that that's the new mentality of uh of Of the colliery here, so um uh speaking of villain, people you kind of enjoy hating like yeah spears is really detestable oh, yeah. he's really <laughs> he is he's he's gross, he like he like digs at his ears, he just you know he's he's filthy and say it again, it's one of these things where
1: you feel like Alan Napier had a heck of a good time playing this guy. (laughs) He did. And and like you said, it is just, you know, and just the smugness of, of him thinking that, you know, that nothing bad can happen to me. You know, I'm protected. I'm in charge. I'm not going to listen to anybody else, but very quickly falls apart. I think this, this next bit when, um, he drives off very drunkenly, I might add. Mm -hmm. um, That's right. And, uh, and then you, you get the interaction between him and, and, uh, and yeah, Jeffrey yeah. Radcliffe, which is partly funny, but, uh, but also very, um, apropos because he, he, he gets almost immediately, he, this character gets a little bit of what's coming to him. Mm-hmm. hmm Yeah. Um,
0: uh, Spear. the, the idea is Spears thinks he's, he's been promoted and he, he thinks he has this power because he knows what happened to, to, uh,
1: Michael. Uh, he was- I, it, he was there, or he at least saw. Yeah, I think he, Cobb he, do it he was right. Like, you know, Is that out drinking or something? You know, just like wandering, yeah, through drunk, and happened to see Cobb. You know, bludgeon uh, Michael, and then right. w- once this was known by Cobb, he basically promoted him and and bought his silence, which yes, you know, obviously lasted up until an invisible man. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> starts cornered him starts in the woods. telling him he's a ghost yeah, and 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 starts yeah, beating blood. him up and stuff. Yeah, man. Um, uh, you know, it, you get the feeling he's a guy prone to violence, and you know he's he's yeah. You know, so you, you don't feel too bad for him, but it's 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 still a, a mark. So, um, he he leaves. Uh, Vin uh, uh Vincent. <laughs> um, Jeffrey has has heard the whole exchange. Uh, he's suspicious. He's gonna he he jumps on like kind of the running board, as in typical. Uh, I don't know what uh invisible men do once once cars stop having running boards after the 40s <laughs> right because that's that's their thing they're always riding on the running board which is the little there's a little step on the side of a lot of old these old model cars in the 30s and 40s everybody um in just in case like like you, you can't jump on someone's Prius and like ride along like that now like you just no, are yeah. it's not gonna work so luckily them um it, it is to seem a running running gag so um he he makes his car break down in the middle of kind of nowhere. He messes with the distributor cap so so uh, um uh uh Spears can't fix it. Um and then he starts tormenting him. He starts like, you know, Spears picks up a stick and he snatches it and he breaks it and stuff he, he tells him he's the ghost of Jeffrey Radcliffe. He tells him that he he drowned on the or or died in the moors after yeah. escaping the prison. And he kind of like like psychologically torments the guy <laughs> for a whole scene. It's a big scene.
1: Yeah, he, he does this like nice ghost a voice and and even says, you know, he's I'm going to, he's coming to suck your blood and <laughs> Yes, and, I know. Isn't that funny? Yeah, it's 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 really good. Yeah, again, so you like can boogity boogity. Yeah, yeah. You can hear uh Vincent Price um really enjoying himself when you know, saying yeah, these yeah, lines yeah. and um, relishing it, yeah. But you, you also um Alan Napier does a great job at not not making uh Spears reaction comical because obviously the the whole you know, like you said, boogeyman type voice, and the I'm going to suck mm-hmm. your blood, and, and all that is can can really fall into the you know funny campy type. Oh yeah, type stuff. yeah, but yeah. It could get campy. Yeah, he's he's very serious and, and and plays it. You know, as you would expect anyone who's under the influence to suddenly have all these things happen, and and kind of the shock and fear that that he has. He, he plays the yes. his reactions very very well.
0: Yeah, oh, there's and there's a nice. Ch- choice of of uh, uh, Spears always wears this super long uh, scarf, kind of like a, yeah. like a almost like a Doctor Who kind of like Tom Baker era kind of scarf, very very long scarf, and it it plays it well because it's something that Jeffrey uses to hold him by and throw him around by and yank him by and stuff. But yeah, great Fulton effects where uh, he passes out at one point and Jeffrey like picks him up by the collar and drags him a few feet over and yeah. dunks his head in a in a little pool, and you know you see the back of his his shirt lift up as you know you don't see anything doing it and you and alan napier's body which must weigh 180 pounds at the very least does slide a few feet like i don't know what they what wire gag they used or pulled him on or something like that but yeah they they really like you know it's 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 a a weird we're talking i was just talking about that mix of comedy and kind of the macabre in these films and this this one scene it does both it's a little funny and then you start feeling like you're laughing at it and then you start feeling a little Bad about yourself for
1: laughing at <laughs> yeah, it yeah because it it's not it's morally ambiguous it's very interesting it is and, and it does it does get to a, a little bit of violence um mm-hmm. kind of like the the first invisible man because I mean you get it because spears obviously is is not not a good character in any, right. anyway but at the same point you know he's he almost he doesn't quite but he comes super super close Radcliffe comes super super close to pushing it just too far. But I mean, yes, yes. cuz he he like I said he psychologically kind of torments the guy and and plays with him on the fact he knows he's drunk, he knows I'm invisible and I'm I can do this. But then physically, you know, he he kind of throttles him and, and thrashes him, you know, he he waterboards him essentially, mm. you know. Right, and there he there chokes yeah. Chokes yeah. him and and you know all all this stuff. So um he It's it's that he's enjoying
0: torturing him a little bit yes. too much is the problem yes that's that's what it is it, like you you get the justification of what he's doing but he's he's having too much fun doing it and here again yeah we're seeing this it's you know it's not a perfect you know slide towards you know darkness in 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 jeffrey's demeanor but it's you know it's 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 a gradual like up down up down kind of but it's always never moving forward towards madness for, for him. And, and, and it just gets worse and worse as, um, it goes on. So he, we're going pretty long with the episode. So I, I feel like, you know, I, he, he, he does let Spears go. Spears goes to his house, which is a, a kind of a, a worker's house down the road, just from the actual, um, from the, the, the colliery. Um, he, uh, Spears is going to load up a suitcase, try to, try to get out of there, uh, Jeffrey kind of stops him, um knocks him down, and starts tying him up and We don't yeah. see how he's gonna tie him up, and that's a reveal that that the film holds till later, which is really nicely done and really sinister once you actually hear what you actually see what he's he's done to Spears, which is really wild like yeah, the, the reveal he, of that <laughs> in about ten minutes is is really like, oh, it's that it's like it's not like seven, but it's like it it gets close to like um diabolical. I guess, I guess that's what it is. He, he,
1: yeah. Yeah. He, he, the character of Spears really goes through a lot of, of, of trauma and, and he, he doesn't have a good end. <laughs> so we end up back
0: at Radcliffe Manor, which, uh, Cobb, I don't know if Cobb lived at Radcliffe Manor the whole time, or if he's moved in, in Jeffrey's absence and kind of taken over, just like he's trying to take over. Yeah. So he he's probably moved in
1: and like wearing his clothes at this point. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Like, I'm gonna have to take this jacket
0: in a little bit. Um, uh, Um, uh, Helen comes down and he's going to talk to her and he's going to, you know, have, you know, a conversation with her about like, you know, oh, what's you know, uh, I think he's going to try and confess his whatever. Um, um, Jeffrey, who, who has gotten the story basically from, from Spears after torturing him that, that, you know, you know, Cobb did it and all this stuff, um, confronts Cobb. Uh, he's there like, why don't you tell him you're a murderer? Why don't you whatever, you know? You killed my brother. Da da da. Cobb immediately responds by just whipping out a gun and trying to shoot yeah. blindly. <laughs> yeah, like 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 he doesn't even sort of. I mean, he sort of tries to deny it, and then he's like, nah, I'm just going to start shooting." So wow, like you see the, you see the 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 bad
1: choices Cobb will make on the spur of a moment, right? Yeah, to, yeah. He he. There's no like. Try to, you know, oh, come on, I, that's preposterous. I'd never do something like that, you know. He, I think he says something to that effect, like, once, and then he he just, like, p- pure pan- panic sits in, you know. Yes. <laughs> and he just starts shooting and just running away, basically right, admitting right. You, his his guilt all along. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you you think it'd be easier to say, no, the Invisible Man is lying, but no, he actually starts going for it. So yeah. <laughs> he, he, tries to, he tries to run out of the house, he runs right into Samson, and... And here's a great. There's a, This is what uh, place to the, my idea of. of I I'm, I think Samson's keeping his options open because he he says, you know, t- you know, take me anywhere, take me in protective custody, take me to prison. I just I, I need to be safe, and and Samson replied, when he says, take me to prison. Samson says, plenty of time for that, Mister Cobb, which is great. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> great line. It, you get the feeling he's. Whatever. Um. This is the great moment where he's smoking. And he and he's talking to Cobb, and he blows out the smoke, and for just an instant, you see the silhouette, and and Jeffrey's standing right there. And it's if the movie has kind of a scary moment, like that's the start moment, like you're like, whoa, that's yeah, that's he was right there. Like that's the creepy idea is that the the someone like this could be standing right right there next, next to you, to you yeah. the whole time, and you wouldn't know, you wouldn't, wouldn't you wouldn't see it. Would, but would it's,
1: it, you're right, it it is a great great scene and kind of a great reveal. Because mm-hmm. he, he had done that, Samson had done that earlier, and here he is doing it again. And, and obviously, yeah. Cobb is is kind of freaking out. And then, like you said, the, mm-hmm. you see the silhouette, and it's just like right there. It's very very mm-hmm. ominous and and kind of kind of scary. So it's
0: yeah, I, I love the
1: scene. In in a modern film, there'd be a real big musical sting there that would really yeah. make
0: you jump. It'd be, it they would they would they would have nailed that man. Um, this is actually probably maybe my favorite sequence in the film is. They've set up, it's raining outside, which is great because it means that Jeffrey can't leave the house because you'll see the rain hitting off of his body. And we, when he actually does try to leave, the cops shoot at him because they can see the interference of the rain, the uh, the, the the spatter of it on his head and shoulders. They see a silhouette. Um, uh, Samson brings in all these Bobbies. <clears throat> They're all wearing these like slickers and the Bobby hats. Yeah. And their, <clears throat> excuse me, their technique to to find him is they bring in these smokers, which are like backpack tank, almost like flamethrower looking <laughs> yes. things. And they all start wearing gas masks. And it I swear to God, it just becomes this like steampunk movie for a minute there. It's so awesomely crazy cool. And I I swear I totally forgot that scene happened in this movie. It's really awesome.
1: And the next next time I ever have like a a pesticide service come to my house, I want them to be wearing this exact right. outfit. You know? Right? <laughs> They're awesome. I mean it's really it's spooky and I I, I don't think
0: the Allusions to World War One and mustard gas and and everything like that are are accidental. I think I think that to some degree at least they are. There's an intentional like like we're going to dehumanize all these. Ple- they end up looking like stormtroopers. I mean, to for for all intents and purposes, they look like black garbed stormtroopers. Yes, the, they did. In the I guess there are black stormtroopers now, so never mind. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> back in my day, there were only white stormtroopers. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> uh, not not to bring race into the matter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah right. Oh man, but it's a it's a cool scene. Um, it doesn't go on too long. Uh, Jeffrey Jeffrey does the classic Indiana Jones technique where he he uh, he waits till one's one of the gar- one of the bobbies is lagging behind, reaches out of the door, grabs him. You see a great silhouette of his of his body and an arm like come around and grab him. Um, snatches him away, puts on his uniform, ties ties the guy up. Um, so when they come to get uh, uh, Helen out of the house. And, and check the room that she's in. She's getting she's still getting ready. Um he's like I'll I'll take her or whatever. And he, you know, comes on and then she he reveals it, that it, it's him and she's like, oh it's it's you. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. You can tell he he's a like, few inches taller than the rest of the Bobbies though. So like like um for some reason it's obvious that that no matter in all that gear, it's obvious that it's Vincent Price standing there. I don't know what that is. You just like the way he stands or carries himself
1: or something. It's like just it. body overall body of the language. Sorry, God. Yeah, that's our guy,
0: man. Um, uh, and it's just again, I just addressed. I have a note right here that says, like, yeah, we just don't know if Samson's working in Jeffrey's interest or against them. Uh, he, he again, he doesn't seem to care if if Jeffrey gets. He has his men have orders to shoot, so he's not. He's not like, um, you know, like in the fugitive movie with Harrison Ford and Tommy Jones. Like, there's a point where you see Sam Gerard switches and and yeah. you see the doubt in his head and he starts believing that Richard Gable wasn't actually, you know, guilty and he, he sees through the illogic of the the case against him. Um this one's a little more subtle. It's it's it's, it's slower, but but you do feel like by the time we've reached this point um I, I think Samson's just interested in getting Jeffrey recaptured and then, you know, let let's see what what's going on. But he's definitely
1: suspicious of 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 Cobb. He is, but then to your point, I mean, he, he has orders or he's ordered his men to shoot at, uh, Radcliffe and he, he doesn't hesitate. I mean, he, he shoots on, I would say shoots on sight, but you know what I mean? (laughs) On present presumed sight. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Shoot, shoot on, shoot on like, well, I thought I saw a sword of something. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, no, it's, it's a, it's a great, it's a great bit where, where he, he does escape out of it and he walks right past, um, Uh, right past Samson and the guards and stuff and carrying Nan and stuff. So he, he basically, he takes, he takes Nan somewhere and then he takes Nan to Frank's laboratory. Yeah. I don't know why I just called it the British style. I guess we're in England, so it's technically a laboratory. Um, (laughs) and then he goes to, to Frank's actual house. Um, and we have a great, we have like a Bobby and a detective who are like casing out Frank's house in case, in case, uh, Uh, Jeffrey shows up there. They, they, they're convinced it's, it's a place he'd likely to go. And we have another great quote where he's talking about the, the thing and, and the guy goes like, this isn't spiritualism. This spooks alive. Like, um, (laughs) there's a, there's a, there's a a lieutenant or something who's enjoying like winding up his man, trying to scare him. And there's a good payoff where like there's, they, they think Jeffrey's crawling through the tree to get in the window. And it turns out it's just a cad and the guy's like, oh yeah, okay. You know, um. But uh but but it turns out Jeffrey actually is in the tree. Once they're gone, he he escapes and crawls into the house and gets in there.
1: The, the, um, I will say that there are it, a few few points here uh in this movie where it, it kind of calls itself out and kind of references the kind of the horror genre, you know, mm. from Vincent Price doing the boogie, you know, I'm yeah, a ghost yeah. and I'm going to drink your blood right and here. you know, then the Ex- then the yeah. uh, ones here where they're just, you know, saying, Oh, it's a ghost, it's it's real and you know, kind of very tongue in cheek. But then, of course, the the thing is, it it, yeah. it is real, and <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Um, but it, but it's yeah, it's, it's a different type of of spook. But but it's true. I like the I like the differentiation. Like like yes, it's a spook, but it's alive. Like, yes. <laughs> um, but you're right. It's kind of postmodern in that it's implying that the characters themselves understand that there are dra- are vampires and yeah. and, and monsters. And you know, and, and, in in yeah. in the world. And th- and that this invisible man thing is just happens to be something outside their experience, but yeah, the rest of it there. But this would be a a culture that that has experienced an invisible person. Like they they the general public must know that there was an invisible man because like hundreds of people died. Yeah, right? so it, the, it, was, you know, it, it must have been a huge event, yeah. and it was in the papers that you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so it's not outside the context. So imagine living in a world where there really was one invisible man, and you're like, well, maybe there could be. There could be more. There could be anywhere. There could be one right next to me. You never know. <laughs> the uncertainty of everything. Yeah, it upsets the whole thing. Jeffrey tells um, uh, uh, Helen and, and Frank to come to home to, to his place. Um, we'll they're gonna to all celebrate. have dinner and everything yeah. like Frank's having like a meltdown, right? Because he's like, I can't, I can't figure out how to bring him back this is this was a huge mistake <laughs> yeah
1: yeah he, he's it's a crisis of confidence he is catastrophizing this in his mind and he's he yes. he realizes he's yeah exactly. he's pretty much to the to the point now where that the, there's like no coming back and he he is not at all confident that he will he'll get it done and he, he just you just see yeah. jeffrey go further and further into the the madness and this yes. this next scene of the yeah, yeah. the dinner is just fantastic with that because, um, you know basically uh, Radcliffe is like, oh, we're going to celebrate because I'm innocent, you know. He, so he he has the knowledge of what Spears told him, and he wants to. Mm-hmm. But the madness obviously has has overcome. So like earlier, you know, you you got a sense of how irritable he was here. He's obviously yeah. happy. I mean, you you would be happy because hey, uh, you know this is the, my ticket to clear my name. But his happiness is very right. skewed because it, it's 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 a it's a happy madness. And um, Vincent Price does this the scene so well because he is so loud and so over the top. It it, it reminds me of like if you've ever been out, uh, with, with a group of friends and one person maybe drinks a little too much and their voice is about, you know, four decibels higher than everybody else, but they don't realize it. (laughs) Yeah. It's a little bit like that here with, uh, with Radcliffe and he's just so like in your face and he, he's laughing in a, in a very, you know, maniacal way. And he, he's, he's talking about how invisibility really isn't so bad and, and, and you just see the reactions from Helen and from from Frank, and we talked about earlier, where you see Nan Gray's like heart, you see it literally break <laughs> on screen because right. she's oh yeah she's watching her this man she loves vanish figuratively exactly. you know she, she's already Ex- seen him exactly, vanish exactly. physically exactly. Now along with the yeah now she's seeing him vanish uh, yeah, yeah now 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 the person yeah, yeah. and and same thing He's with frank and, he,
0: and something else is taking
1: its place which is really dark no, yeah, exactly and and frank is just
0: um yeah, I, I agree <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah vincent's great in this i mean it's 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 a it's a moment where he has to go big again like you said it's like it's like someone who gets too drunk or like yeah, hey, I lived in New York city. It's like when you show up somewhere and someone's been doing a little bit t- too much nose candy and they just have <laughs> the, 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 the valor of their intellect, you know, they just think they're the most brilliant person in the room, they just think they're, you know, the most entertaining, the cleverest, um, the most powerful and everyone else is just looking at each other going like, Oh geez. You know um, the difference is like that person in New York is going to come down eventually. This is the, just an yeah. escalation for Jeffrey. And, and he's, you're right. He it's I guess it's a particular side effect of the the duo cane in these films that it's it's a madness, it's a megalomania, um, but it's also uh this euphoria these characters start having. They they start getting so um they're so happy because they're so confident, they're so they feel like kings, they feel like uh, whatever. And we see it in Invisible Man, we see it in Invisible Agent too, yes. like a little bit. Like it's this it's this invincibility that they feel. And I think I, again, like, this has to be here because there has to be a reason why you just wouldn't want to be invisible all the time, like, you know, or whenever you
1: wanted to do it or not. Right. And, and, you know, without a, some form of antidote, a way to bring them back, there is no way out. You know, to your point, there's no like coming down or sobering up period. It's, you, your only way out is, is it's, it will drive you to eventual death. (laughs) And it's, it's, uh, that that is, that is the scary part. (laughs)
0: Yeah, and it's the reason that the that the invisible man is a universal monster and not just a universal unfortunate person <laughs> yes. that something happened to. You know, uh there has to be that there has to be a there has to be a danger to. It. We we're talking about this in Son of Frankenstein uh the other day where um the monster can't just be large and kind of unfortunate. the monster has to be dangerous and he has to be stronger than a human and he has to have the capability to do awful things yes. even if he doesn't want to he's got to have that ability to do it uh for it for there to be the drama and and the drama here is that look if if not something isn't done, this good guy Jeffrey Radcliffe, in trying to do the right thing by by clearing his name and and finding out who killed his brother. Is going to become way worse than Cobb, way worse than, you know, I mean, oh, yeah. Cobb's just a, a mean guy who killed a dude um, and who's trying to take over his brother, his cousin's empire. <clears throat> um, Jeffrey's going to become a thousand times worse. Jef- there's going to be a death toll. Jeffrey's going to like, you know, he talks about, you know, what could I do for my country? What could I do with my country? Um, dude, it's, it's, yeah, he's, he's over the edge. And, and so Frank's only idea is, is that he's going to, um, He's gonna drug him. So he, he, when he gets up to get more more alcohol, he he puts something in in the drink. Uh, kind of slips him a Mickey, and comes back. And J- Jeffrey doesn't drink it right away. He gets up and for some reason leaves, and he comes back to put on a smoking jacket because every invisible man wants to wear a smoking yes. jacket. <laughs> I don't know why it's in, but in the it's, kit it's,
1: with it's, the bandages and the gloves and everything. Yeah,
0: and the and the goggles and stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, with the little the the glasses with the little side pieces and stuff like that. Every Invisible Man loves a smoking jacket. Even in what I love in uh, Mad Monster Party, the Invisible Man is constantly wearing a smoking jacket and a fez. Yeah, <laughs> he just it's just it's his default wardrobe. It's it's really great. And I think in most of the action figures, he's they sell like like they I think I think Invisible Man's wearing a because. No one else does it. The, the mummy, Frankenstein, Wolfman—no no one else wears a smoking jacket when they turn into a monster. It's his thing. Yep, yep, it's just him. Count Alucard does how, it once it, in uh, *Son of Dracula*, but it, it was that's for, true for a brief, that's, that's brief a good call. time period. Um, uh, 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 Polzig wears one in *Black Hat* oh, briefly. Yeah. He's got that quilted yeah. one, that yeah. really amazing one. But that's yeah, um, that's how he differentiates himself from the, from the the mummy. So when they go to parties. You know, no one, no, people don't mistake the Invisible Man from the Mummy. They're like, no, 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 the Invisible Man is wearing the smoking jacket. The Mummy's wearing the Egyptian cartouches. <laughs> See? That's how we do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So there, there's so that kind of is a thing, and, and and there's a delay, in it, but eventually he does drink the 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 thing that Jeffrey or that that Frank poured for him, and he passes out, and and. Jeffrey and Helen are, okay, we're going to do what we have to do here. I'm going to, he, he drags him in there. He chains him up um, to, a, to a chair and he tries to reason with him. Uh, now, now that, now that Jeffrey's kind of woken back up from the drug. And there's a moment where Jeffrey's like, you know, you're, thank you for helping me. I, I, you're right. I was, I was losing it. I was, I and mean, you really think he's,
1: he's, uh, you, you he's think better he's, for a yeah. second. Like he's over himself. Yeah. Then you realize he's, he's, he's just faking it. More or less,
0: yeah, um, yeah. I mean, but but I I do think to some degree his his megalomania got stopped in its tracks a little bit. Like he got shaken out of that a little bit. But he still like his like quest for revenge hasn't been blunted. I think oh, that's yeah. what he that's that's what he's he's gonna go go. You know, because uh, because there's a moment where he felt like not even like Helen would be safe from him in this state. Um, and and now it it does seem like that he's Jeffrey's through having to beat up his friend, Frank. <laughs> he really because he really like smacks him. It's really like, okay. Um, you, you think, okay, that 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 at least has cleared his mind enough to think like, no, 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 I did this for a reason. I have to see this through. I have to, I have to I have to so he sneaks back into uh Radcliffe Manor. Um uh, Cobb is laying in bed asleep with a gun by by his by his hand just to protect himself, and then this awesome thing where you see the gun like start you know lift up and float up and stuff, and so Jeffrey gets Cobb at gunpoint, um, and and he's gonna he doesn't tell him what he's gonna do, but I think that the his plan is he, he marches them out of the the place, and he takes them to Spears's house, yeah, uh, where 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 we yeah where so now we see what he did with Spears he he has Spears hands and legs tied standing on a chair and there's a noose around Spears's neck tied to the ceiling so if Spears you know falls from the chair or passes out and and whatever he's going to
1: strangle to death which is yeah it's a, it's a little it's Very, it's intense yeah. for a f- 1940 movie right it is and and to think that he's he's spent an extended period of time if if not a day or more like this because that's uh, right um, you know, but how long has this been? Yeah. I think it's been like a, at least a day or so. And so, you know, that's, Dude. you talk about a, an extreme form of torture for, for the man.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 He's really, he's really good. I mean, I mean, it does seem like all those spears didn't kill, uh, you know, his, his, uh, his brother. It seems like Spears ends up worse off than, yes, than Cobb. He does. Like his 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 revenge goes harder against Spear for some reason. So it's okay. Um, uh Cobb kind of Cobb kind of outsmarts him by by just kicking the chair out from under Spears and letting him die.
1: Yeah, I know. And and that's uh, a, I mean that that that's I guess speaks to Cobb's character. I mean he's probably thinking yes. if I can get away and then maybe maybe i can mm-hmm. kill the only witness you know but you know spears is the only guy who could
0: testify against Cobb. so so Cobb is you know killing two birds with one stone literally yes. kind of almost yeah. like he's 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 distracting jeffrey long enough for, to make an escape but he's also hopefully eliminating his one witness um uh all the all the steel worker types are uh are uh you know, come coming to investigate the ruckus. So there's, what's great is, um, so C- Cobb is, he's really smart. He turns off all the lights in the in the house and he says like, now we're even. So now in the darkness, Jeffrey does actually not have any more advantage because while Cobb can't see Jeffrey, Jeffrey can't see Cobb. It's too dark. And you have this, what yes. p- p- you end up with is actually what, <laughs> it's a great, it's like a, you know, 30, 45 second, minute long fight scene in the dark, that's just noise because you really can't see what's happening, and it's just—it's just a whole bunch of ruckus, and it's really kind of funny. This, it this is. guy almost like—it's like he's in a fight with himself
1: because you can't see Jeffrey at all. It reminds me um, of another another callback to the '60s Batman. I, I remember an episode, and I—I I had uh, saw it as a kid, and I, I read about it where they had like more than one the uh, big villain in, but it was an, mm-hmm. an ex, like an extreme long shot because they couldn't afford all the the actors. And I think the budget was so tight that they did, did something where somebody killed the lights in, you know, in preparation of this big right. fight scene. And all you saw was darkness and like the, the word bubbles of like, Pow, just, bad
0: just the, pop, the onomatopoeia, <laughs> the pop, pop, pops. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, yeah. It's kind of like that. You're right. If they'd only tilted the camera just a little yeah. bit. Um, <laughs> so, um, uh, it's and you know he finally uh punches Cobb through one of the boarded up windows and or, or the shuttered windows I guess and Cobb runs away. He chases after him. He knocks over like it's great because like all the the worker guys and their little derby cap things. Um, this is the this is the head of the, the 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 colliery. Like this is yeah, like the you know the guy who's in charge of anything. And he's running like a madman, screaming up the main street and through the gate and stuff. It's a you know it's one of those scenes where the the guys are looking at him and they're just it's funny cuz they're like what none of the workers know have any understanding what's happening and this guy's just running like a crazy person and then anyone who gets in the way behind him gets knocked over as jeffrey runs by and kind of like tackles him with his momentum which is so you just have a lot of
1: people falling over which is really just it's kind of funny it is but it, it's, um, it's it's honestly it's it's really well choreographed and and it's it it this the ending here, uh, or this this ending fight scene, rather, um, uh-huh. between Cobb and Radcliffe, I think it, yeah. it's so action-packed. Um, maybe, I mean, the Invisible Agent, I think, took it to a, a different level with the yes. the bombs and the miniatures and all that stuff. But just in terms of just a good, well-staged action slash fight scene. Um, I agree. This, this, this is, is really good. It's one of the better ones. Um, out of the the forties, Universal, and I, I. There's a lot of drama. Yeah, yeah, and I really love how the suspense plays out. You know, to where Cobb is going to get, you know, mm. what what comes to him, where he he. So, like you said before, you know, he's he gets tackled and and, and pushed or f- falls onto this this cart of coal, and almost immediately. It, all the workers start screaming about, oh, you got to, you know, he's, he's going to die. You got to get him off that because it's, it's going to dump out. Right. And you, right. You hear the noise of like the coal, uh, you know, dump, being dumped from the, the carts d- down below. Y- and you're seeing it happen in the carts in front of him. So you know where it's going. Yeah. And stuff. It's, there's it's the, so, there's sus- the verticality of it. it. Yes. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. And, uh, I think it's, is it, I think it's Samson that, uh, ultimately shoots Radcliffe, um, mm-hmm. and, yeah cuz all the all the the Pinkerton guard type
0: guys or whatever they are like are there and and Radcliffe manages to escape them. I feel like I feel like the police guys just fire randomly into the crowd of people who <laughs> <Yeah. are> onlookers <laughs> there, but I don't know. Um, you know. Uh uh yeah, there's there's a good scene where like and so Jeffrey manages to tackle uh Cobb onto the cart and they're on top of this thing of coal, you know, going up this hill slowly like it's like the beginning of a roller coaster where you're like crank 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 crank. Um yeah. You know? um, so there's, again, there's the height of it and then there's the danger of plummeting and then there's all this, you know, coal that, you know, it's, it's probably like a half ton of, of rock that's, that's, you're, you're going to fall and it's going to fall on top of you, which is basically what's about to happen. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I think, um, I think I'm watching it right now and, and yeah, and Samson's the one who does, he, he, I think he, he, he nails, uh, uh, Jeffrey and Jeffrey falls off just as the thing hits the thing and, um, Cobb is dumped down and and whatever it's a great moment yeah 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 i like that you know jeffrey himself does not kill Cobb at all jeffrey's just punching him um his his plan might be to kill him or, or to go over the edge with him and just let them both die he just he just wants that that vengeance um what actually kills Cobb is you know the fall and then all the coal falls on top of him so the 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 thing his ambition is about is to take over the coal company right and in the end, it's it's actually that that actual raw material, that coal, that actually kind of kills him, which is poetic and nice. I it think is that's kind of a, and, and and I'm just glad like Jeffrey doesn't do it like so,
1: yeah. Um, it, and I like the uh, at, at the end, he has Cobb has this like split second moment of. I'm going to be okay. Cause it, obviously he's being punched, you know, he's being assaulted oh, by right, the right, invisible yeah. man. So Samson <laughs> yeah, shoots yeah. him and he goes like, you got him, you got him, you Hooray! got him. <laughs> and then and that's when you see the, the, you know, the cart uh, get tipped yeah. over and he just, he screams and just falls. And uh, it, it's
0: like the moment where the coyote sees the shadow yeah. of the boulder kind of getting larger. And yeah. he's like, Oh, here it is. Um, Yeah. There's a great moment where you see uh, just the, all the coal dust on the, on the ladder. Um, Getting disturbed as Jeffrey like kind of slowly climbs back down. Um, uh, Cobb calls Helen over and he says, "I did it. I I killed I killed Matthew." So, so he, he confesses and and it's fun seeing uh, um, uh Cobb who, who's always so coiffed and his hair's all slicked back and stuff. Now he's all dirty and bloodied and his hair's all messed up and stuff like he's just lost all his his the the, the composure that I think is like you're saying, livia Like he's not a big act. He does. not uh, 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 he doesn't portray the character really big. He's very buttoned up and controlled. And now to see him all goofed up and messed up and hair askew and stuff like that, you know, um, you know come to this end, I guess, you know, um, I, and, it, and again, it's just, it's just Nan Gray looking spectacular staring at this guy as he dies. Yes. It was <laughs>
1: such disdain. I mean, cause you know, he, yeah. you could tell, so this is Cobb's last moments and he is looking for some, some form of uh, like like repentance or you know forgiveness. Yes, and you know yeah he's, absolution he's, yeah. And the look that she gives him, she doesn't say anything. She's the look of like, how dare you? Yeah. And there's just so disdainful. And she just turns and, and yeah. just walks away. And to think that that's probably the last thing that Cobb sees is yeah, just that, that look yeah. of just disappointment. It's is I like that. That's really good.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he he doesn't he doesn't get that absolution. He doesn't get what he what he wanted. It, 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 if if anything, he could have gotten a little understanding from her, and she she doesn't give him any because there's no there's no sympathizing with what he did. He was just no. a greedy dude yeah. who, who who was willing to hurt people to to get what he wants. Um, next to the, ga- Bobby's in the gas mask hole sequence. Visually, at least, maybe my favorite scene is this one coming up where you you suddenly see this scarecrow on a hill. <laughs> Yeah. With this beautifully painted sky backdrop behind him, which is really not realistic, but it's, it's expressionistically very cool. And um, you get, Vincent Price gets to do like a scene with a scarecrow uh, <laughs> yeah. where he ta- he's talking to the guy. He's like, and he's, he's got this humor again. And, and he's, he's Jeffrey again. Um, like, almost like we haven't seen him yet. Like, he was Jeffrey the way he was before he took the duo cane in the thing. He's got this uh very sad sense of humor, you know. He's laughing at himself a little bit, um, and he's and again he's having this kind of quirky conversation with this, you know, you know, an inanimate object. It's two sticks with a uh, you know, a suit of clothes hanging off of it. Um, but I love the idea that like you know at this point Jeffrey himself is sort of just a scarecrow. He's like there's not much left of yes. him anymore. Like this, the it, this the things that he's had to. Go through to clear his name and to 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 you know deliver justice to the guy who killed his brother. Um, I've really left him almost like like he's almost a non entity now. It's just like a scarecrow, and he's just he's he's less getting dressed than he is just hanging clothes off of his body at this point. Um, uh, it's it's beautiful, and the music is wonderful here. It's just yeah, it's, it's a, a it's a heck of a, I I mean, you you could just watch this scene not having watched the movie and still be touched by it. I think, I think it's, I think it's beautifully done.
1: It is. And, and it's, it, again, it's one of those things that could easily, easily fall into something that's laughable or, or mm. forgettable. But the way that Vincent Price does this, you know, I mean, he's, he's having a conversation with, with a scarecrow, but um, it's so, it's so genuine. And it, it's it's so, um, you can tell how much in pain he is and, and how his, yes, how he's kind of, fa- again, figuratively fading away. Um, yeah. and, and it is, it is, it's like you said, it's something that, that it's touches poetic, you. Yeah. Keep, keeping in mind only a year before this, maybe even
0: less than a year before this, another movie had come out with a scarecrow in a much more <laughs> prominent part that was pretty funny. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's fresh in the audience's mind so very um, true I, I i do that i don't know for some reason it reminds me uh, th- this one scene reminds me of uh john ford's of of mice and men not of mice and men i'm sorry uh, uh grapes of wrath yeah it not i don't yet. know why it just it really ha- it has this kind of like lonely tom joad kind of thing going on with it i'm not sure why but it really does um guys it, and i know we're we're a horror podcast uh, we we mostly deal with that kind of stuff from this era if you haven't seen grapes of wrath the the john ford movie just just please just watch it it's visually a- as stunning as any universal horror film or something it's it's a beautiful film it's really it's really amazing anyway um back to uh so in the lab you know Jeff- jeffrey's still missing uh frank is still working on the anecdote um uh helen is given samson a heck of a hard time saying look you 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 were like using every resource possible to find this guy when you thought he was a killer and now that you know he's not what are you doing you know come on do your job and stuff like she's just she's dressing him down it's really funny She's and, you know it just shows how much she cares about about yeah. Jack I and mean, she
1: and she's been through a lot you know between you know seeing mm-hmm. everything happen to Jeffrey and then the thing with right. Cobb and and um you know she's this is this is going to change her in in a lot of ways you you do wonder how
0: what their relationship's going to be moving forward cuz you know it,
1: it, if we assume
0: there's a happy ending <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll, we'll get to that um, You
1: remember that one time I was invisible and all that bad stuff happened, <laughs> <you know? laughs> and then, then we got married yeah. um <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, if they do, if if
0: if the implication is that Jeffrey survives the film, which I think it is, um, they definitely like. Well, we'll get to that because because who's? I guess we'll get to it right now. Who is the character in Invisible Agents? Is he the son
1: of Jack? I think it's like his uncle or great uncle or something like that. I okay, think the so name, it's another the name stays the same. It's it's still Frank Griffin. But uh, he's Frank Griffin. uh it was either his grandfather or or uncle, some, some relative like that. Right. And, and like you said, it's like the Frankenstein diary, you know, he just, he's the next one to, so I imagine after this movie, Frank took the, the, the family and just like, oh, oh, right. And he's like shipped it off to his, I don't know, his, his, his son or his yeah. nephew or something. His, and, his
0: nephew or something like that. So, so yeah. So I wonder if, if the, if Frank in the, yeah, Invisible Agent. I wonder if he's the son, the son of Jeffrey, or the son of Jack, or the son. What if, what if he's weirdly like related to Cobb or something? I don't know. Yeah. Like, like it's again. You know, we always talk about the, the Frankenstein family tree. <laughs> what the, the what if he's related to Aunt? Tree, yeah. yeah, What if he's related to Aunt Fanny? Um, oh, the gosh. boar. Yeah, it could um, be. You never, you never know. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. So, yeah, but 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 Jeffrey's story, Je- Jeffrey and Helen's story, obviously does as far as universal monsters does seem to end with the with this film um the final scene we have this great moment where uh jeffrey does you know kind of the walk of shame i guess yes but he, it's no but it's really powerful he walks through all his 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 workers right these these are the guys who work for him these are like i don't want to call them, the, him, them his friends but they're i i think he views everyone he works with as kind of family you know so you know they and they part they part ways for him they just well they're stunned by you know this there's a guy in a there's a coat (laughs) in a pair of pants and a hat walking with no face but but there's just this astonishment and you know we're so far into the film we're so used to the fact that someone's invisible that we still the film still gives us a little reminder of like oh this would it be like like to just see this for the first time you're just some random person (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah um really complicated gag him walking it's a tracking camera um it you know I mean the effect comes off pretty well. There's there's some line work and there's some there's some edges and some some stuff that, that we're seeing. Um, and then you know the uh, Frank and 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 uh, and uh, Helen and and the girl from Leopard Man come running out and and kind of pick help him up the stairs. And I don't think they're really there on the stairs. I think they're on a black screen that was that allowed him to do it. And I think it's a played like I'm just saying it's like right here at the end of the film like the the finale already happened this is like the Dana Mon and stuff like that they're still pumping like effects into this shot like yes. to to sell the drama this is just selling the drama of the story now this isn't really like the 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 climax or anything it's 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 interesting and this is what this is what everyone's still staring around at 4:30 in the morning and John Balderston is like tearing his hair out right Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, to to finish yeah. like, like these last effects are like this isn't necessary for the movie but hey um so you know, here we are, right here at the end. Um, the predicament now is that is that you know Jeffrey's been shot. Frank can't operate on him because he can't see to, to you know to cut into yeah. him and what to dig out and stuff like that. I would I would think there there'd be a very visible piece of lead inside, <laughs> yeah, this this yeah. this empty body, you know, floating around because it is again that's a bit of foreign material which which also like I mean if you really want to play into this like do his cavities if, if he has like silver fillings or something like that to, like do they show up if he's invisible or something I mean it's That's one of those a good things point. you can yeah you can spoil a lot of fun just by trying to be really <laughs> realistic about these films Stop I think applying it's applying logic to
1: this Jim. <laughs> yes
0: exactly just roll with it come on we're <laughs> at the end it's too late for that come on we're, we've already gone so long um but that is the predicament uh there's a wonderful moment where he's you know he's like I, you know I'm going to I gonna have to try and do a transfusion just to keep him alive and Frank goes out outside where all the, all the workers of the Collier are, are gathered. And he says, you know, hey, hey, he's dying. He needs blood. Will anyone donate their blood? And everyone's hands go up. And it's, it's just yeah. this amazing, like I'm Spartacus moment. It's just, it's, it's touching. And as I was saying, like, like we were talking before the, 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 that we started recording, like I always forget how much I like this film. I, I, I do think the Invisible Man sequels are kind of forgotten as far as the Universal canon. Yeah. And I know, I forgot them. I know I was into them, in, you know, in the earlier days. I never had them on, I'm looking at all my old uh, MCA Universal VHS collection right here. And I have all the creature sequels. I have, you know, the, the Frankenstein sequels. I only have the Invisible Man. I never got those, the other ones. And and I think they're little gems. They're each individual. They're wonderful.
1: Yeah, they are. They're, that's exactly what they are. Is, you know, hit, good hidden gems. Um, And, and yeah. I think m- maybe with the exception of the Invisible Woman, but uh <laughs> e- each the three Invisible Man Returns, the Invisible Agent, and the Invisible Man's Revenge, yeah. they've got so much to offer and and the, the stories are all so well crafted, well done. And yes. uh, you know, as as we we were talking earlier, they're great standalone films. You know, they don't you don't necessarily have to go through and watch um <clears throat> in any of the, the the other earlier ones to to pick up where you left off like you would with some of the yeah. Frankenstein sequels and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um except for that one weird one, The Invisible Ray,
0: which is about a guy named Ray who turns invisible, <laughs> <Yeah>. remember? <laughs> <laughs> that was a weird. That was a weird offshoot, but we'll get at that. It was okay. I think that was the that sequel that they, they didn't work out. Um, <laughs> it's a guy named Ray turned invisible, the end. Um uh the the then so so Frank is presented with this problem where he says, you know, I, he's going to die. I got to give him the antidote. If, if I do it, the antidote is probably going to kill him, but he's going to die anyway. So we just have to do it whatever. Um, and then there's this magical moment where you, we find that the transfusions, all the, all the blood that he, that Jeffrey's gotten from all the, the people that work for him, um, who they've hopefully blood typed and matched, um uh, <laughs> as, as, as good donors. <laughs> yeah. So he, he doesn't, he does. So that doesn't kill him. Um, uh th- that blood itself, in replacing the blood he's lost, recirculates through his system and it turns him visible again. It's just the fact that, that all his invisible blood kind of goes out and, and real colored blood comes in. And we have this gray moment where we see like just, you know, the main arteries, the carotid and the aorta and everything there. And... And then the nerves and all oh, the mini blood vessels and the nerves appear and then like the face and the bones and stuff. And finally we see, yeah, like you said, a, a very young Vincent Price finally for the first time in the movie, which which they I forgot to mention, they don't show Vincent Price v- visually, you don't see his face in the beginning of the film when he's in prison before he becomes invisible. And that's I think right. that's was on purpose, but it's a it, that itself is a really interesting choice. Common sense would say you'd see him visible in prison talking and then he would take the thing and see him. But, you know, the film cleverly never, it drops us right into it and we yeah. never see that until mm-hmm. it's after it's done. So, so this is the first time we actually see him, which is really satisfying.
1: It, it is. It, it, and it's a callback to the, to the first one because you never yes, see Claude Rains face and you never see right. Claude Rains actually do anything because when he materializes, he's already, he's already dead. He's already um, dead.
0: Here, he, here we have this great moment where, where Vincent lifts his hand and he looks at it and he realizes he yeah. can see his own hand and he's so happy about it. and. Um, Helen runs and hugs him and you know he can she can hold him she knows where he is it's great there's a odd cutaway shot where Frank is just still standing there staring at them hugging and smiling for maybe a second too long like like now he's like well now it's awkward <laughs> like, I don't know what to do with myself now but it's okay they, they are a trio like I, I do like that if not a romantic trio, they're at least just like a, you know, the, the three friends, the, you know, Frank and, and Jeffrey and, 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 Helen, um, Frank, who is not trying to steal Helen away from him. So he's that exception in the, in the universal, uh, uh, uh invisible man canon, right? <laughs> <Where> yes. It's, <laughs> his, it's not his friend trying to steal his girl away. It's, it's his cousin. So, yeah, um, that's it, no, a good, it's, it's, it's whatever. And, and as you said, it's a great, the score rises up in, in a great way. And it's a really great moment. Um, uh in, in universal music history, uh right there that, that again, yeah, we that we would hear uh in the future a few times, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, in in Son of Dracula. And yeah. Uh, it's like like I was saying, you know, it's, it's probably my favorite piece of, of or at least one of my favorite pieces of of universal music. It's Hans mm-hmm. Salter composed it and it is just beautiful. And yeah, um special. anyone that's that's a fan that may not already have this, um uh John Morgan and William Strongberg, two film composers, in the mid '90s, uh, reorchestrated and um, re-recorded a few of these scores. The Invisible Man Returns being one of them. And there's a a, you can find this on iTunes, or you can get on YouTube, or or just order the disc. But it's uh, I think it's the haunt the the monster music of Hans Salter and Frank Skinner, and they have uh, the Invisible Man Returns. son of frankenstein and the wolfman uh kind of all all on one disc and and so it's it's great to hear obviously it's not the original recording but it's great to hear it it with you know as if you would hear it now and and hear it kind of outside of the the films it's i'd highly recommend that for any fan of this music yeah that's something I, i think i would like to
0: have that on physical media
1: i think that would be a neat
0: thing to have um uh I, it makes you wonder if the music is even still like if the raw music compositions are even still in existence. If Universal has them, I no, I figure
1: they might. Uh, no, I, so but, from what I what I understand and what I gather, uh, Universal basically ditched everything. I think around like mm-hmm. the '60s or, or so, as they often okay. did. <laughs> um, yeah, the composer, yeah, as all the studios did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hans Salter himself um, had he had he had the full. Score to Ghost of Frankenstein. That was that was the first first oh, cool. score he did on his own, um, and that was actually put out on record in the seventies uh, from oh, his yeah. own his own tapes. He kept about twenty minutes of the Creature from the Black Lagoon that he did, um, and then right. a, a producer um, or or somebody working in the sound department at Universal had actually made Salter a about a thirty forty minute suite of of music from. His early forties, and it included a lot from man made monsters, some from the mummy's hand, some from black friday and uh that was also released uh, they called it horror rhapsody um but to nice. my to my knowledge that's that is the only only thing that actually exists unless there's you know in some family member's attic or or vault somewhere exists some some tapes that just have not been discovered yet, yeah.
0: Well, I feel I feel like because it, it would have been printed onto the negative, so I feel like it exists on like each of those scores would exist in there on the negatives. And maybe you could pull them apart from the audio of the film, but I'm not sure. They might have been mixed. I'm not sure exactly how that process ran. I think they probably would have all mixed together. So yeah. yeah, you wouldn't be able to get an isolated piece of music. So anyway, wow, okay. A little tangent there. Sorry, guys. Um <laughs> Hey, all right. That's Invisible Man Returns from nineteen forty with uh, with our, our guy Vincent Price who you know, Vincent, one final thing, like, you know, um, Livio, you're a little younger than me. I'm 48. So, you know, I, I don't remember. Karloff was gone by the time I was aware of, you know, movies and, and things. He, he'd he already, I think, passed in 75,
1: 69. 69.
0: 60, never mind. 69. Well, oh, way, way, way before me then. Yeah. Sorry. Duh. Um, Lugosi obviously was gone. Cheney gone and stuff like that. But, you know, I grew up seeing um uh you know like let, let's just say edward scissorhands so so yeah. vincent price was still doing movies in my lifetime so as far as a universal hero like he spans from that era to obviously he was pretty elderly at that point but like um to that point and he was even in a friend of mine uh jeff burr did a film uh called from a whisper to a scream and it's kind of a tales from the crypt anthology type thing and the the centerpieces were where vincent price um Doing these, So I actually know someone who got to direct Vincent, which is also amazing too. So, you know, cool. talk about a longevity of career, but, you know, and, and a tr- he was always true to his career, like the thing he loved doing, he did all sorts of things, but, you know, so much the the terror films he loved, he really didn't like the fr- phrase horror. He liked terror. Um, uh, but it's fascinating to watch, sit and watch this movie and see that guy be really young. And, and then, yeah, remember going to the movie theater and seeing a movie that he was in. Uh, even when I was like almost in college, it's incredible. So yeah, yeah. I mean, big, his, big bus back, big basket of win, as, as they say.
1: Yeah. I mean, his career, I mean, nearly 30 or I'm sorry, 30, nearly 60 years. I mean, mm-hmm. cause from the 1930s all the way up to, you know, 91 and he even did voice work in later than that, I think like 93 or so. Yeah. Um, yeah and in. 93, I think is when he, when he passed away. But um, yeah. I mean, that's it, it, an incredible career and he's, he's, known so much and, and as, as time and the years have gone on and, and as things change culturally, the one thing that have not changed as far as Vincent Price is how much of a great guy he was, how much of, uh, he celebrated yeah. arts and, and he, he was so yes. inclusive and accepting of, of others that you can get on YouTube and, and here where he talks in interviews about, um, you Things that were topical at the time, but things about civil rights, and, you know, and yes. race, and just including everybody from all backgrounds, and and just how important and prevalent um, mm-hmm. that stuff is, which is very and
0: still, still, still very topical. Now. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Today. yeah, awesome, fantastic, Livia, well, Thank you so much. This is so much fun talking about this with well, you.
1: Yeah. One last thing, though we didn't we didn't mention Uh-oh. this at all, and I saved this for the very end. So, in the 1933 original Invisible Man, the drug was called. Monocane. monocane and, then, and then this one is called DuoCaine. do you know why they they made the switch because Was... between Monocaine and DuoCaine, duocane is twice as effective <laughs> okay <laughs> and that's how you know we've gone too long talking about <laughs> the invisible man yeah. movies <laughs> yeah held up you held up my signing off for that all right
0: <laughs> okay good good i'm glad i'm glad we got that out good job Awesome guys. Um, hey, well, again, okay. Thank you very much, Libby. Appreciate it. It was great talking about this one with you and stuff like that. I'm glad we got to uh, re investigate it because it's uh, it is it's a standout gem. Everybody, check it out. Thank you so much for listening to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. We will see you next time.
1: All right, take care. All. Thank you for listening to this episode. But the fun does not stop here.
0: You can follow and interact with the show's hosts and listeners online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Borgo Pass Horror Podcast is a presentation of Shadow Camera Film and Entertainment. This episode was edited by Livio Marino. The music was composed by Sean Poole. Opening and closing narration are by me, Kat Herons show titles and graphics created by Jim Towns Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time on the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast